0: And welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast that is like in the zone. As always, I'm
1: Mario Lanza.
2: I'm Jay Fisher, and I'm so sorry, you guys. I just want to apologize for my performance during all of this.
1: Um, I'm Mike Bloom, and my podcasting also resonates in the bedroom in that it is very loud and awkward.
3: And I'm Paul Osselson. I'm still singing Ding Dong, Alexis Dead, Dun Dun Dun, Dun 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 Dun.
0: And here we are in uncharted territory for the Historians, a part four of a podcast. This is where we wrap up Survivor Micronesia, one of the most beloved and uh, some would say controversial of the Survivor seasons. And here we are. Finally, uh, uh, we only have two episodes to talk about in this podcast. This is kind of like we were talking about before we went on the air here, that we're, uh, we're kind of not really following a template anymore. We're kind of making it up as we go along at this point. So please bear with us if we seem even more unprofessional than usual.
2: I mean, that's what people expect, right? But yeah. but I have to say, it, it's funny. When, when we were going through, when when the three of us and Beatles were starting this podcast, you know, and, and when Beatles left and all that sort of stuff, and we, we sort of figured out the template for how Historians goes, and we didn't know how, how, how long we were going to be doing this, how many seasons we would do. And, you know, Mario initially sort of was like, well, we'll maybe we'll go to 10, because it's a nice round number in 10. And then, you know, it's sort of... As we got closer to 10, we sort of realized that we were not going to stop at 10. And so then my, my mind goes further, and I'm like, oh, man, we got to do Cook Islands. Oh, man, we got to do Micronesia. And it's, it's sort of weird that we're on part four of Micronesia. That's not something that I really necessarily wanted to do. I guess we only did, what, two on, on Cook Islands. So, you know, not, I guess it all balances out in the end.
1: Uh, Jay, you're mistaken. It's not Cook Islands. I believe it's called The Cooks. At least uh, that's what Jeff Brooks <laughs> and Parvati have me convinced. The Cooks.
3: And I think this will be our longest podcast ever. I'm just going to predict that right now in typical historian fashion. So we'll see where we are at the end of these two episodes. Just a one-time thing, Paul. A a little little bit
1: (laughs) behind-the-scenes historian's info. We actually had to convince Paul for a long time that Survivor Micronesia did not end with Amanda idling out Alexis. Uh, Apparently, he tuned out for the last two episodes and thought the season just ended there. So we had to have him actually watch these episodes and realize that, no, Amanda does not have the happy ending that he initially thought.
3: Well, that's remember, your... going into this season, I was so pissed off that Amanda had lost China that I put all my survivor memorabilia and everything in a box under the stairs, and I was done with it. And um, this season, even though we're not going to talk about Amanda victory, really did suck me back into the show. So kudos to Micronesia, even though it did have Alexis.
2: That's what you didn't know, Mike, was that uh, that's in montana that's that's the last episode of the season that was aired properly. <laughs> so like you know, this episode that we're about to talk about. It was basically, like, I'm sure it was some guy on, like, public access in Montana, and he was just, like, picking away at a guitar, and then he just looks it up everywhere and goes, what?
3: Amanda wins. Right, now we just get a guy in a cowboy hat who reads the Wikipedia summary of each episode, so that's what we get to look forward to here in Montana.
0: Man, the mountain time zone is just fucked up.
3: <laughs> i really, registered
0: really. that time zone. <laughs> All right, so anyway, on to Gabon. So episode one of Gabon,
1: <laughs> Earth's Last Eden. <laughs> Let's oh i right, okay. elephant dung No, oh, <laughs> I, well, I want to i want to see those surfing hippos <laughs> all right we're just kidding we
0: will finish micronesia we have two episodes left uh i guess we will dive right into it here uh we are in the uh final five in micronesia we just had the amazing amanda blindside where they took out alexis where uh you know paul's favorite episode of the season and now we're down to the final five and now it's basically eric against the four women
1: Yeah, this is a as an Eric fan. This is a very tough one to watch. I mean, I am a marked fan of good television, and admittedly, the last ten minutes of this episode are very good television and has their position within the annals of Survivor history and the Survivor Hall of Fame in terms of dumb moves. But this entire episode to essentially see Eric get so. I'll use the term fucked over by basically each of these four other contestants is really tough to watch. I'm, I'm going to be making a lot of comparisons to Eric in this episode with Ian from the last few episodes of Survivor Palau and that I think both of them can do really well in the game of Survivor and that they're you know physically adept and they're sociable enough that they get along well with pretty much everyone. But when it comes to dicking people over and making big moves in the game, neither one of them are really cut out for it and you really see it pay off in spades here.
0: I am going to say this is one of the 10 most iconic episodes of Survivor history. Would you guys agree with that?
3: Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. I think what's beautiful about it is that it really does come to this moment at Tribal Council. It's not this iconic moment that happens earlier in the episode. It really does fit the format of what Survivor intended its episodes to be, where the big bang of the episode would be at the Tribal Council, and that's not always the case with some of these iconic moments, so the fact that the whole episode can build to this one moment makes it super iconic.
1: And like you said, Paul, it's about building, because there are some episodes of Survivor where people say that's one of the best episodes ever, but it's only really boiled down to just one moment. But here, there's really the entire episode. I mean, we're going to have You know, Eric doing double talk between Amanda and Natalie going into the reward challenge. Eric's going to win the reward and then, you know, screw over Natalie. And then the immunity challenge is going to happen. And then they do the whole convince him to give up the necklace. So this episode is really all about Eric. He's really at the center here. And essentially, the episode is going to be how is this alliance going to figure out how to deal with the Eric problem? And it turns out they really, you know, throw a Hail Mary, but it ends up paying off for them very well.
0: You know i will I will argue with that slightly, Mike, where you said this episode is all about Eric. I would argue this episode is all about Suri. To me, this is the Suri Field's greatest hits episode.
2: You could say that. I mean, you, you could say a lot of things. Um, I, I this episode's weird to talk about now that we're here because I agree with you, Mario. I think that this episode and 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 especially the tribal council of this episode is probably one of the most iconic ones in survivor history. and i and I think rightly so. Just for what happens, but with Survivor aging through the years and with things happening, I think that something that we always need to talk about is things that that are done on Survivor, you know, they, they always do the, oh, this has never been done before, and and for the most part, if, you know, you're into more current seasons of Survivor, whatever season that you're on right now when you're listening to this do... Jeff Probst is probably saying something like, they're doing something this week on Survivor that's never been done before. And he's probably lying to you because they have, and he just doesn't remember two seasons in the past. But there are things that do happen from time to time that that are something that is new to Survivor. And even though stuff kind of like this, kind of like this has happened in the past going up to Micronesia... This is something new that's going to happen, what Eric does here. But it's one of those things where if the game is to evolve and you're to look at all the iterations of the game, this move that Eric does in this uh, tribal council has to have happened at some point. And it's fun that it's Eric and these girls that are the, uh, uh, these women that are, that are the ones to, to pull off this, this uh, monumental feat.
0: Okay, so let's get into this here. We have, uh, again, five people left in the game. Last night, Amanda pulled off that great move where she pulled out the idol. They were trying to blindside her. She took Alexis out. And, uh, okay, so we get to the, the, the night after Tribal Council. Amanda comes back to the tribe, and she's kind of defending herself to the rest of the people. She's like, you know, I never lied to you guys. When I said I didn't have the idol, that was correct. I didn't have it yet. So I never actually lied to you. I got the idol later. And so, I said it was
3: under the flag. It was actually under the flag. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. So Amanda's defending her game, and this is where we have a, a scene where Eric and Natalie kind of pull aside. You know, the, at this point, a lot of people think of the you know Black Widow Brigade, but there's still three favorites and two fans. So we have the two fans, Eric and Natalie, kind of pulling aside here and saying, you know, we're down three to two here. What are we going to do? And and they both kind of argue. You know, Amanda is a little too popular for her own good. She's going to win. If she gets to the end, she has a lot of friends on that jury. She's not really making people mad. So Eric and Natalie at this point are arguing, you know, those other two, Parvati and Suri, have to see that Amanda's too too dangerous. They can't keep her around. So they're arguing this is their move at this point, that one of them has to get the idol. They have to send the other one to Exile Island. And then somehow between the two of them, they can convince the girls to take out Amanda and spare them. So that's kind of where we are here going into this episode. Okay, and aside from that, aside from uh, Eric and Natalie realizing that Amanda is their only play at this point to get her out... Eric kind of goes on a little rant uh, to uh, to us at home in a confessional where he says that, you know, Amanda gave me a big guilt trip at tribal council last night. She made me look horrible. She made me look like a jerk. And he's, he's kind of furious at Amanda. So Amanda and Eric is kind of going to be a dicey relationship from here on out. And again, it's kind of like the Ian and Katie thing that we had in Palau now that Mike brought up the parallel, but it's going to be very similar here.
1: And that's why I take issue though, Mario, with you saying that this is the Sari episode because Sari is going to have some great moments. We're going to talk about, you know, her and Natalie chilling on the raft while the other, everyone else is away. And obviously she's the one to really plant the seed of give up the necklace. But Eric's two key relationships in the game at this moment are with Amanda and with Natalie. And I'm sure we'll talk about it with the plan. If you, but if you don't have those two people here, colluding with Eric, you're not going to get these events to fall out. And we see it from the outset here where, you know, the fans did try to band together to get out Amanda. They had an opportune moment at the final six. They were deprived of that opportunity. And now they see this really formidable triumvirate of Sari, Parvati, and Amanda. And so now they feel like they're kind of screwed.
0: You know, what's funny is we've named every single person left in the game as being super important to this episode and how it works out, except for one person. Surprisingly, which (laughs) person did we not mention as being important here?
3: She's busy winning, okay, Mario? <laughs> okay. But, I mean, I, I think you can both be right in the sense of, like, the show was, like, the episode was not made to show us that it's Suri's greatest hits, but rewatching this episode, the person really that you should be most impressed by is what Suri does in this episode, but I don't think she's what we are intended to pick up on uh, during the watching of this episode.
0: Mm. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. She's cl- it's clearly not her story, but when you just watch it and pay attention to her, it's amazing what she's pulling off here. And I mean, I, not just with Eric, but with everybody.
1: And what I will say is that, speaking towards the end of this, Eric, Natalie is seen. It is interesting that they are, the two of them at least are colluding to say, okay, if one of us wins the reward challenge, we need to send the other person to Exile Island. That way we give one of us a chance to find the idol. And it's interesting, you know, I think Natalie tried to rationalize sending Jason a couple episodes ago using that logic. But it is, it is interesting that people are trying to weaponize Exile Island by saying like, no, I want to go now to be able to look for the idol. It's probably a couple other times in Survivor history that they've done that. But I mean, we're only going to see a couple more seasons of Exile Island in Survivor. So it's interesting to see the evolution that this twist has taken, or at least the strategy that the castaways have used given this twist. Now, so here's,
0: an, here's an interesting question. Do you think Natalie really was working with Eric, or, she, or is she just humoring him here? Like, that's the argument I'm watching as I'm, I'm watching this episode, as I'm paying attention to. Like, is Natalie actually in with the four, you know, the Black Widow Brigade? Or is she actually in with Eric, and they're trying to figure out a way to knock off the favorites? It's, it's it, 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 She, she kind of waffles from time to time at the start here.
2: Well, I guess I was going to talk about this more when Natalie was going to exit the game, but I, I guess I'll go now. I mean, I think that Natalie, you know, she's got fans out there. People who watch the episode are like, hey, I like Natalie and Natalie things. And I think that there is some things to glean from how Natalie played the end, especially uh, or played the game, especially near the end when we start to notice her all of a sudden um, and, and whatnot. I think that James's exit uh, from the game and, and then the the uh, blind side of Alexis, you know, uh, from from Amanda idling her out. I think sort of sort of switches some things. But I think what Natalie did was she provided a very good template. If anyone wanted to sort of copy the end of what Natalie did, it's a very good template for wedging yourself and getting yourself to be about fifth or fourth in the game. But it's not it is a tough winning strategy. She she, she sort of wedged herself in with the fans, but she was sort of on the outs of the fans because they saw she was clearly colluding with the favorite women. And she was colluding with the favorite women, but she's not a favorite. So it was sort of like she was on the fringe of two alliances. And she, I think she was working with Eric, but it wasn't just it was sincere like Eric is my primary option. She had multiple options in which to advance herself, but she would have had to have some weird Hail Marys to get herself further than the fringe on, on the two things she was playing.
0: All right, so going coming in here, we have two very pivotal scenes that will pay off later in the episode, and I, I don't know if people, a lot of people remember these if they haven't watched this one in a while. So the first one is Eric and Natalie agreeing, well, if one of us wins the reward, we'll either take the other one with us or we'll send the other one to exile so that we'll be you know fed and happy for the immunity challenge and or one of us will have the, the hidden idol. So they're kind of working together, and now – Eric's going to basically propose the same deal to Amanda in a second, but there's a pivotal scene that sets that up right at the start here, which is where we get into my Ceri stuff, where Ceri mentions to Amanda, she goes, you know, you were really hard on Eric last night, and you kind of made him look like a fool at Tribal Council, and what does say? She's say? Uh, she suggests maybe, maybe Eric uh, will feel bad and he'll do us a favor. Maybe we can use that somehow. And so this will set up a whole episode where Amanda's now going to go to Eric, and she says, you know, Eric, I, I feel bad last night. You know, we got off on the wrong foot, and maybe maybe we can make it up to each other. And, you know, if you win a, if you win a reward, maybe you can send me to exile or take me. And basically – and she proposes this whole thing where basically she just says, I want – at the end of the day, we want poverty to go to Exile Island because she won't look for the idol. She's lazy. She's tired. She won't go. So whatever happens, just send poverty to Exile Island and everything else will work out well. And this is kind of Amanda and Ceri's plan to keep the idol away from Alexis, or from uh, Natalie and Eric. So it's basically Ceri and Amanda are messing with Eric here. And Eric falls right into the trap and makes Amanda the same promise he just made Natalie about half an hour before this.
1: Now, of course, this will be the only time that they they you know pitch something ludicrous to Eric and he takes the bait, of course. Now, no other big snafus from him this episode. I mean, it's a pretty crazy pitch, though we're about to get to one that's absolutely crazier for her to be like, you know what? Like, I think the most strategic and the most physical should play the game together. I mean, she was the original creator of the Iron Sharpens Iron strategy, um, but I, I do think that... Amanda is definitely preying upon, and this is why Ceri sort of sent out Amanda as her hit woman to, you know, really seduce Eric here, is that they have this really ingrained relationship from their time on New Malakal, where, if, from what we remember, Eric was really taken under Amanda and Ozzy's wing as sort of like a, a protege, and Eric even says in his final tribal council that he treated Amanda like a big sister or a cousin, so this is really where Amanda's going to utilize her relationship with Eric to essentially get what she and the Alliance wants.
0: And, of course, Eric, Eric sees right through it and will not fall for this, and he mans up the rest of the episode. It's He's not like, oh, all those silly girls.
4: It's not all hair on my head.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, this is where Amanda says, you know, yeah, Eric, you're good at thinking sometimes. You almost get there, <laughs> which is a wonderfully wonderfully Montana passive-aggressive way of complimenting somebody.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've <laughs> used that one, but uh, only pertain to horses. It's <laughs> how we talk to our horses and take pictures with them
0: all right so let's jump right into the reward challenge here again what you need to know is eric's been set up he's promised natalie and amanda the exact same thing he's if he wins he's going to take one of them and the reward challenge is oh conveniently enough it's absolutely perfect for a little super fan like eric this is where we answer survivor trivia about past seasons
1: yeah this is called here you go eric (laughs) yes this is the max
0: dawson memorial challenge (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yikes, what a horrible format for a trivia challenge One for the contestants Two for the contestants that are supposed to be fans of the show And three for people watching along at home This really was a fail
1: I know we did this in All-Stars But I guess it's sort of an even playing field But this is a weird externality of having fans and favorites play together is that you're essentially having people who have watched the show compete with people who were on the seasons that you're talking about at least two of these questions are going to pertain to seasons that these people were on They that are currently answering the questions it's such an odd concept.
3: Right, but, but theoretically, you're like, okay, so it's you know, even playing field, there's these people who have played the game and they still like, know it so well versus people who have studied it and watched it over and over and over again, so they're gonna know all these answers, which total fail, but also just the whole format of it because like for for especially for people watching at home because you want to make this like a fun challenge for us to watch at home and remember these moments, like most survivor fans like even you know strong casuals who watch it every week they don't remember what specific season it was like if you're going to name what you're telling what happened in survivor fiji like most people are not going to make that connection right away they, they know seasons based on the characters in them and on the on the move on the the big moves or moments in that season they don't base it off of the logo and the name of the season so it just was a huge fail um all the way around and we haven't seen anything you know trivia wise since then since the two times they try to do survivor trivia it's failed so much but i think it's a shame because it's really i think fun for the show to be able to acknowledge things that have happened in the past and show us you know flashbacks and stuff but Didn't work out here. Don't you guys love when Richard Hatch was biting uh, sharks back in season one?
0: (laughs) Well, you know how the producers got lucky here is at the end, at the beginning of the season, they cast a bunch of fans who were not really fans. And so they're lucky they got two at the end here who actually kind of had some fan knowledge. You got Eric and Natalie. Like Natalie actually does fairly well in this challenge. Imagine if you got some of those other people who had never watched the show before and they go over for, you know, the, the super
1: fans. That would have been pretty funny. Oh, my God. Jason Siska and Natalie doing this challenge would have been amazing. I mean, they would have done what Parvati did, which is essentially like, okay, there's a snake on the logo, so I guess this is the season where the snake was, right? Yes. All right. Mary would have killed it. Mary would have dominated. (laughs) For people who haven't seen this in a while,
0: uh, yeah, they answer trivia questions, they have a little wheel, they get to spin with all the logos, which is kind of cool. And uh, the first person to answer four questions correctly wins the reward. And the reward for this one is, again, we're in Palau, so it's the, the generic helicopter tour to a resort they get a massage it's the stuff we've seen before we're we're repeating rewards and stuff by this point so also first- i'm still
3: i'm still stuck on the format of this challenge how stupid is it too that it's like oh you get you get 15 options to choose from like make it a little bit more like you know give people a chance or do an a b c or d like give people a chance or, but you have you have a 115 chance of getting it right
1: but paul then you wouldn't have the really fun wheel with all the survivor logos on it
3: I mean, it was cool. I guess to look at the wheels spin around a little bit. I guess.
0: Well, yeah, you have a one in fifteen uh, percent chance of getting or one in fifteen chance of getting any question right, which is approximately how well Parvati does on the challenge. One out of fifteen, so <laughs> right? Pretty good. I think actually Amanda does about that well too.
1: Amanda Amanda got arguably one of the harder questions, which we'll talk about, which is the uh, the shark biting question. I'm very surprised that yeah. Amanda got it, but I believe she was a pretty big fan going in, which we can't necessarily say about Parvati, unfortunately.
3: I think Amanda was a strong casual fan of Survivor. All right, so going
0: into the first question, of course, the answer is Rupert. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you could have predicted that one.
3: What, what, like, what a horrible moment too. Name the season that a contestant had a pet snake. Like, really, that's what we're going for?
1: Well, I noticed that Seree initially picked Thailand. She was probably thinking about Ted's pet snake, but very quickly changed <laughs> the answer. <laughs>
3: I wish they would have thought it was sexy biting on which uh, which season was a contested sexy bit. <laughs> yeah, I watched a snake video on
0: YouTube the other night where a snake attacked and killed a mouse, and I thought it was a very sexy bite, so yes. All right, so the first question we have, yeah, the pet snake, which which season had the guy who owned the pet snake? Obviously, that's Rupert, and uh, Eric and Sari get that one, so that's good. They know Rupert, which is... <laughs> Apparently, Parvati's never heard of Rupert. Also, I got to love that that's, that's the thing. Like, which
2: survivor had a pet snake? is Rupert. I'm pretty long. Like, how long was that snake alive? Like, two seconds?
5: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> that's when Rupert snapped, snapped its neck like Lenny with the
2: rabbits and the right. Mizen Men. He, like, took, he took a snake that was, like, bleeding to death, picked it up, snapped its neck, and then he's like, I'm going to nurse it back to health for the Drake.
1: <laughs> oh, it's dead. You I'm know, and Rupert. you're like, oh. On um, which season did the person have a pet snake and also did not know what a catfish was?
0: <laughs> Tell me again about the snakes, John.
2: <laughs> like you might you might as well have, you know, a, a more entertaining question about Rupert would be like which survivor contestant, which famous survivor contestant's favorite drink is 2% cow's milk. <laughs> like that would have been better than 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 that other one. <laughs>
0: Okay, so question one was about Rupert. Question two is, yeah, this is the one Mike alluded to earlier as being a little more challenging. Uh, which season featured a shark that bit a survivor and then the survivor bit the shark back? Which is a very obscure scene from All-Stars. That's that's not one I immediately, I mean, we're nerds, so we know that scene. But that's not one I think most Survivor fans would remember off the top of their head.
1: And I give credit to Suri and Parvati here because they both guessed Survivor Palau because, again, going with the picture logic, there's a shark on the logo. But also because... Probably one of the biggest moments of that season is Tom catching the Sharks. You would think, yeah, like, oh, exactly. that, that makes sense. So I don't necessarily put them in the wrong here for picking Palau.
0: Yeah. And Eric picks Borneo because of Richard Hatch. So he's he's halfway onto it. Like Amanda said, he's almost there
3: sometimes. Do you think after like after this question, like, hey, crap, we got to really go easier and easier and easier? Do you think they had, like, different levels that, depending on how they you know, how they answered them, that would get easier or harder based on their answers. Well, did, did
1: you guys notice yeah. that these, these first three questions are all about animals? And then we're going to get the nature one with Mike <laughs> Scoopin' in question four. Question five has nothing to do with the castaways, only the ways they were divided. They, they seem to stray away from any questions about, like, who did this? You know, it's, which probably would have been much easier questions. It was instead, like, the details about the, the wildlife that existed in these seasons. Right.
0: Which season I featured the black no-no's? All right. Speaking well, of uh, Marquesas, but, that is the but, answer to question number three here, which is which which season featured a survivor who asked another player to pee on his hand after he was stung by a sea urchin.
2: Yeah, but the, I <laughs> in a, in a weird way, it's it's a double it's a double leap, right? Because you know, in Survivor All Stars, when they when they had the the questions about previous Survivor history, it was literally like legitimate questions they just had to answer, which was you know, uh, uh, you know which survivor fell on the fire and you just had to write mike Scoopin. like it was just direct question direct answer whereas this one they're asking a question so you have to like identify a moment or a person or a thing and then you have to guess then you have to identify the season so like there's a two part right. sort of recollection there where it's like you know like like you said with eric and the, and the shark question when he's who bit a shark and bit it back and eric immediately thought richard hatch and it's like cool richard hatch but then you're like oh crap Boy, he was on two season. seasons So you know, then you're trying to think that way. So like, I guess in a lot of ways, it was tough. Not only the one in fifteen chance in the wheel, like Paul alluded to, but just the fact that you kind of have to do the double logic. Whereas identify the moment slash player slash thing, and then identify season in which moment slash player slash thing was on. So,
3: do you do you think the question about one person peeing on the other person is what triggers Natalie's jury question in the next episode? Now, possibly ca- now kathy, about how survivor can resonate in the bedroom yeah, uh, kathy, yes uh, how kathy, resonate ha- in the bathroom
1: <laughs> kathy how does uh, oh, how does peeing on someone's hand resonate for your uh your sex life
0: i think they're doing the bedroom wrong if they're peeing on each other
1: well maybe not i
0: don't want to judge. i'm not gonna judge i'm sorry i know like 10 10 of our listeners are into that kind of stuff so never mind <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say this was kind of a trick question because it's who's peeing on each other's hand, and if you recall in Thailand that they were peeing in the cave that they were sleeping in. So True. at some point I'm sure some piss was going on somebody's hand. So there was probably a second answer you could have argued
3: in this
1: And to one. be fair, in All-Stars, Sue peed on the raft, and you're assuming that a Shapiro member touched that raft portion at touched one point it, in time. Yeah. So it could have, been, could have like really been multiple to, answers.
3: They did, like, Jeopardy people on there to be, like, you know, they stopped him a couple questions <laughs> later. It's like, actually, we will accept that answer. Um, yes, Alicia <laughs> did touch the pee-soaked raft. Yeah,
0: Probst is looking off camera left.
1: Yes, we can accept that, yes. But I suppose that Marquesis no. was the number one P moment across the Survivor seasons.
0: Yeah, arguably.
2: You think, you think Jeff Propes, like, is looking for the judges, the imaginary judges, and he's just trying to figure out how to, like disqualify Jenna Lewis or her brother or somebody in the Lewis family from each challenge. That's
0: a good point. Alright, so that does beg the question, was that the biggest P moment in Survivor history? If you are a piss fetishist, please feel free to write in if you have a strong opinion on that. Please
2: don't.
3: Or don't you know we're good. We're good. <laughs> yeah, we're good. Honestly. Yeah. yeah, I was curious, Mario, how much did you explore um, you know, P fetish with your uh with your all-star fanfic stories?
0: You're not gonna sucker me into talking about those stories. Jay has pointed out that it's foolish to talk about my stories, so I will Damn not it. do that.
3: Yeah. I thought a part four of a podcast we had to at least touch on those, but yeah. You didn't episode take, episode didn't take five the of
0: bait. Greece, I had a five way Peace stream though. Yeah. So, so Eric gets the up. question right and nobody <laughs> <Yeah>. else does. <laughs> yeah, Eric knows that one. Eric knows his piss trivia. All right, so episode uh, question number four here: Which uh, which season featured a uh, survivor who was medically evacuated after he fell into a fire?
2: You think that like if they ever do this trivia again, like on Survivor fifty eight or whatever is going on, like literally Mike falling in the fire is going to be in every single iteration of this?
0: Well, yeah, because it is the worst thing Mike Scoopin has ever done.
2: <laughs>
3: oh God. Oh, right. We're not dating this podcast, but I have a feeling that I, I we're not, not dating, dating the anybody. Future. Well, actually, Paul, <laughs> in I the mean, future, I think there'll be <laughs> what, Mike? I mean,
1: this, this podcast is over five years old. And something tells me that Mike Scoopin would probably like to date it uh, <laughs> considerably.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I have to show next time a trivia challenge comes up, they may be comfortable with distancing themselves from this question.
0: I do think I will just say this flat out. Anybody... By in season 16, which, again, isn't that far in the timeline of Survivor. If you didn't know which season had Mike falling in the fire, you probably should be disqualified from the show right then. Only three of the five people got this one.
2: Because when you're thinking about iconic Survivor moments, you have to remember, according to Jerry Manthe, it's Mike falling in the fire and then Kel <laughs> had beef jerky. No, and Keith so, not, know, not mean, being
1: able to make the rice. That's oh, like yeah. in the Mount Rushmore of Survivor moments. can't make
2: rice.
0: <laughs> Kel had
2: beef. I mean, shoot. I mean, that's up there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
0: Yes. Well, uh, this was the easiest of the first four questions. I'll give them credit. They're getting a little easier here. Three players actually got this one right, so that's good.
1: And I believe Uh, that the the, the challenge was first to five, right? And I believe it was first First to to four. four. And so Eric has only missed out on the Richard Hatch one, which he sort of got tricked out on, on, as we talked about before. And it's clear that nobody else wants him to win, but he's pretty unstoppable in this challenge. And this only goes five questions in. I have no idea. We were talking about the sliding scale of feasibility with these questions. Who knows if they went, like, ten questions deep? How either eclectic or completely broad they would get but we only get five questions and it's a very short challenge
0: yeah i would love to see the note cards for this challenge of like i'm sure they planned out like 25 questions just in case they needed it and at the end you have the real real basic questions that i would love to see what the rejected questions were that we didn't get to
1: who was voted off first on this season it's this season you need to it's like celebrity jeopardy final jeopardy yes (laughs) which season was set in africa
3: which do you think would be the harder question? Who was the first person voted off in Survivor Pearl Islands, or who was the second person voted off in Survivor Micronesia?
5: Ooh,
0: it's a tough one. All right, let's go to our fifth question here—the fifth and final of the of the, uh, the mega trivia showdown here. This was which was the first season where the uh, where the players were divided into four tribes, and this is one where I believe Parvati. Uh, Thinks it's uh, Cook Island, which is not a bad bet, but it was the season right before that Exile Island. And surprisingly, three out of the five people knew this one. Although, to be fair, one of the players was on that season.
1: (laughs) And it also aired like two years ago at this point. So it's relatively fresh in people's memories, I would say, at least for diehard Survivor fans. And we also don't know, you know, each player gets shown at least one season of survivor and sequester before they go out and actually i'm sure we'll talk about the fact that micronesia is like the go-to season that they show with modern survivor before people go out there maybe exile island was one of them and that's why it was fresh in someone like natalie's head
0: could be i would have been expecting more bob dog trivia questions then or some great bruce questions that would have been fun
3: <laughs> i mean i would say if, you know if these five contestants left i think all of them are smashers they are Although
0: we will learn later that Amanda is a closer. Yes.
3: Oh right. Okay. So four smashers and a closer.
1: Uh, Eric's a spinner here. <laughs> yeah. And Bruce think, is still like, a squeezer.
2: I was I was waiting for one of these questions for like probes to like start asking the questions, and then the Australian doctor just pushes them out of the way and goes, "Question. Can you poop, mate? <laughs> What
1: Which which season is that? <laughs> which season? And they're just they're
2: they're like doing their circle. They're like, wait, um, yes, I could poop. Which one is yes? <laughs> Is, is well, that?
1: I guess Australia is the number two season. I guess that does yeah. that count?
0: <laughs> Wait, doesn't "da" mean yes in some language? Isn't that German or something?
2: That's that's in Russian.
0: Russian. But yeah, yeah. So there you go. So Vanuatu, that's "da," right? Am I getting am I getting my trivia correct here? Yes. I'll have to ask Parvati. Okay, so Eric, not surprisingly, wins the Eric wins immunity or Eric wins reward challenge, and. Uh, uh,
1: I was going to say, I don't know if you guys noticed, really, like, small, underrated Eric moment with him winning the challenge, his celebration. But it just, like, Quintal essentially represents Eric as him, like, awkwardly spinning the wheel and throwing his hands up and yelling, Survivor! It's just, like, such a small, weird Eric moment that I I relished.
0: (laughs) That's actually the same move I do when we finish each podcast, when I'm excited. So it was my little homage to Eric.
3: Well, that's funny, because that's what I uh, translated to the bedroom from Survivor.
2: Uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a weird <laughs> thing, though, here's my question. Should Eric have won this challenge?
0: You mean should he have thrown the challenge? Yes.
3: Um, well, that's it, way it, too <laughs> complex for an Eric's strategy, <laughs> but let's entertain it.
0: I don't know. I mean, at this point, he's just going to try to challenge his way out of here because he knows he's the big uh, physical – as Amanda has told him, you're the physical player. So he's just going to control his fate as best he can. So I don't even think he would have considered throwing this challenge, and not to mention the fact that he's like this big super nerd Survivor fan. He's not going to make it look like he's bad at Survivor trivia in front of everyone watching for him. I I mean – would, would, yeah, I'm, would it be his
1: best option? Yeah, go ahead. I would agree with those train sentiments, though, because even before, we just talked about, you know, Amanda Mind fucking him in the previous scene of him being like,
4: you know, I, I really don't want to go to exile.
1: You know, it's not going to be fun. And like you said, Mario, he pretty much feels like he needs to essentially win out from here on out in order to make it to the finals. And so you would think that an opportunity to, any opportunity to, like, refresh yourself, relax, and get fed, you really want to take advantage of. So I think that... Maybe if he was thinking the long-term game, if he felt like he was on a more solid playing ground, he would definitely throw it. But I think we talked about this in our Palau podcast as well, But the whole I'll-take-you-if-you-take-me thing. I'm sure those conversations go and happen on the beach so many more times than what's shown on camera. I think it's significant here in that Eric really has double-talked his way into deals with two different people. But I think he couldn't pass up the opportunity to fortify himself for the next challenge that he is going to win. Allegedly. Yeah.
2: But 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 I think the difference there, Mike, and I agree with you 100 percent on everything you said, my, my counter to not not my counterpoint to what you're saying, but just my counter to Eric here is that. OK, yeah, I I agree with you totally. The, the you know, when there's more people in the game and, and, and especially during the tribal sections uh, of, of Survivor, you know, pre-merge and all that sort of stuff, I think that you know, having these conversations happens all the time, or I'll take you if you take me, or I'll look out for you if you look out for me, or I'll do this if you do that, and, and, and that sort of stuff. But there's literally five people left in this game. And I know he's working with Natalie, kind of, but Natalie has not voted with him several times, right? Like, when they voted, you know, you know, Jason and James and, 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 and the Aussie vote, like, you know, Natalie has voted with the Black Widow Brigade, or the favorites, and not with the fans, or at least not with Eric, on a bunch of those votes. And if Eric has not figured that out, like that's a problem. And and what that means is that you know Eric is here, and you're, you're basically saying it's Eric against the women. You know, like he's figuring he's got a he's got an immunity his way to the finals now. That's all well and good. But if that's your case, like making these deals, then it, it shouldn't matter. Like you can just go to all four of them and say, yeah, I'll take you. Who cares, right? Like. Who cares at this point if he's if he's just going to play and and win immunities all the way to the end? But he clearly cares in some way. And so if he's making multiple deals with people, all of which who are against him, how are how do you figure they're not going to talk to each other and corroborate stories? Like, it's fun if you can hide amongst numbers and amongst different alliances. But there's literally two alliances on the beach, not Eric
0: and Eric. No, you make a fantastic point. I don't know if Eric would see that, though.
2: I know it's tough. And so it's really because because I agree with Mike in the sense that, you know, maybe, you know, for this narrative sake and obviously for what happened with Eric, they used his talking to Natalie and talking to Amanda uh, against him. And, you know, maybe this happens more often than we think, but it's it's one of those things where it's like, Eric, there's four people on the beach and you and the four people are against you probably don't try to make side deals with some of them because they're totally in an alliance and talking to each other.
0: Maybe that should have been one of the trivia questions in the challenge. On which season did Natalie never actually vote with Eric?
2: She did sometimes. I mean, you know, you got to give that. But survivor. But she's, yeah, to, to to sort of dara this up, she voted with him, but she also didn't vote with him. So you know,
0: numb.
1: That's the answer to that great previous survivor trivia question. Who was the mortician? <laughs>
5: yes.
0: Alright, so, uh, yeah, Eric wins the challenge, and, uh, you know, Eric has this side deal with Natalie that they're going to either take each other or send the other one to exile, and the first question Jeff asks is, alright, Eric, who are you are going to send to exile island? And he says, Parvati, which is wonderful, because that's the absolute worst thing to say, because now he's going to piss off Natalie, like, wait, so you're working with Parvati now? You're going to send her there to go get the idol? And so, uh, then the next question is, Eric, who are you going to take with you on this spa reward? And he says, Amanda. Which is, again, another fantastic way to piss off Natalie. So now, not only is he pissed off Natalie, he has spooked her that that she, maybe she's going to think he's actually working with these girls. So, good job, Eric.
1: Uh, and I believe, I mean, he's going to talk about this later in the helicopter to the reward, but, you know... He essentially said that he wanted to bring Amanda because he didn't want to talk strategy. He just wanted to hang out with her. Which, again, yeah. <laughs> buddy, you gotta, you gotta get your head in the game here.
3: Really great mindset. You know, the episode before the finale.
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> I just want to put the game aside. You
4: know, you know, I, I really gotta, you know, get my head in the game to win the money. But I mean, man, I just want to chill out, dog. Let's go to that spa. Yeah.
0: Surprisingly, this is the first time Eric has ever been to an Asian pleasure spa. You'd think he'd be a a a seasoned veteran at one of these spas.
1: Yeah, I don't know, Jay. What what is the Asian spa scene like in Pigney, Michigan?
2: <laughs> I mean, it ain't great. I gotta
5: tell you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, uh, uh, no offense to our listeners out there in Pigney, Michigan, and our listeners out there in Pigney, Michigan who have to be uh, love getting pissed on. You know, you're in the rare subset of the community, but we do not mean to offend on this podcast. <laughs>
5: For
4: $40, you get a happy ending.
1: (laughs)
0: All right, so we go back to camp, and here's some more of Ceri's greatest hits. And this is what I was talking about earlier in the podcast, where we go back to camp, and Natalie is just pissed. Because she thought that you know Eric was going to take her on the reward, or she was going to—he was going to send her to in exile—and instead she got a big fat goose egg. Nothing happened, so she goes back and she vents to Siree, and Siree, of course, is more than happy to use this to wedge a little uh, dissent in there and cause a fight between uh, Natalie and Eric. When what's the exact quote here? She's like, "Yeah, that Eric—he sure is a little weasel." And she kind of looks over at Natalie, and Natalie's just fuming, and and Ceri, Ceri just just stokes the fire she's just stirring this fire and she's like yeah you don't you don't feed and help the person you want to take out in the next immunity challenge i mean maybe that's a new tactic i I don't know about (laughs) it's just just, you could just see her just manipulating natalie to get pissed at eric and she's so good at it and it's one of the funnier scenes in this episode i was just watching it and cracking up all these little facial expressions were surreal say something and kind of look over at natalie to gauge the reaction and see how much how angry she's making her Mm. and it's it's great because uh Suri even gives a confession where she's just giggling, her, her typical Suri giggle. She's like, you know, the only pleasure I got out of not getting my reward today was watching Natalie stress out. So she just is just baiting this poor girl. It's a hilarious scene if you go and watch for it.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a, this is definitely, you know, I think after this season, Suri's reputation is going to be talked up, not necessarily for her Exile Island game, even though we, we really talked up her 3-2-1 strategy, but I think this is like the hallmark episode of Suri where people say afterwards, like, this is quintessential Suri Fields. And so I do agree with you, Mario, in that like this is a great representation of who Sari is as both a survivor character and a player, and that she's going to do some really devious, very subliminal moves to put psychological pressure on her competitors, but at the same time, she's going to provide the most giggle-worthy, yet most epic confessionals, and we will definitely get to one of her voting confessional, which is one of my favorite voting confessionals of all time.
0: Yeah, and there's a great quote to end this scene here, where natalie's talking about eric and she's like she's pissed off she's like you know if it looks like a rat and it, it smells like a rat and Siri just finishes give it cheese <laughs> it's,
3: it's the name of the episode in fact
0: that is the name that is correct all right so now we cut to the uh, reward where uh, eric and amanda are going off to the asian pleasure spa and uh <clears throat> this is the one where they're, they're in the helicopter and they're flying have i guys ever told you my helicopter story before when i was on a helicopter once I forget if I told this once in like in Vanuatu or something. I'm going to take that as a no,
1: or 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 you guys are very excited to hear this. Unless you wrote a fan fiction about your helicopter trip, I don't remember it. Then
0: we don't know.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So anyway, I was on a. uh,
2: I'm just going to. I'm just going to preemptively tune out. Either way, that's fine. Yeah, just eat some
0: pizza and tune out. That's fine. So anyway, I was on a, uh, a helicopter tour in Hawaii once and it was uh, my wife and i were in the front with the pilot in the back was my my brother and my sister-in-law and halfway through the helicopter tour the door in the back flew open it went flinging open and like my sister-in-law is back there and she starts screaming as loud as she can because feel, she feels like she's about the flat of the helicopter except the problem is when you're in a helicopter you have those headphones on so you can't hear anything so she's screaming for about 15 minutes and so she's going to plummet to her death and nobody can hear her <laughs> and so we get to the bottom and I'm only reminded of this because I saw it in, the, in this episode that they're flying with no doors on the helicopter we landed after our tour and my sister-in-law is like in tears she's red-faced screaming she's like my door flew open i almost died nobody heard me screaming and the pilot's like well doors on helicopters are just decorative anyway they don't really do anything the seatbelt's the only thing holding you in in there so just when you watch the scene i was watching that and i just i was amused that they're flying around with no doors but that's because doors on helicopters have no value whatsoever they're just there to make you feel better
1: survivor historians meets popular mechanics in this episode apparently
0: i know you come here for the helicopter trivia so there you go there's your your quota all right, so uh, yeah, we have Eric and Amanda hanging out, and Eric says, "I just wanted to uh, hang out. I don't want to talk strategy. I just want to be here with a friend." And uh, this is the word where yeah, and so Eric and Amanda for some reason start talking strategy, even though that's highly uh, frowned upon by Eric, and and he says, "You know, I think I need to step up and start making some tough decisions because Amanda's pointed out, you know, he's you're telling people all these different stories, you're being wishy washy and Eric says, what is the quote, Mike? He needs to be an ice cream man, not an ice cream yeah, boy. Says,
4: Maybe this ice cream boy can be an ice cream man. <laughs>
0: yes. So it's the, the maturation of Eric going here.
1: Wait, he's, okay, he's, so he's, he's, to... he's in for a hell of a bar mitzvah coming up, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Hope they have a massage table. It'll make it much more exciting for him. Okay, so and while they're getting their massage, Eric and Amanda, then we cut to poverty over an Exile Island where she basically gives one of the most uninteresting confessionals of the season. She's like, I don't really need the idol. Maybe I'll look for it. Maybe I won't. (laughs) <laughs> That's well, about our poverty scene.
1: Well, you guys know Although, that she she did find the idol on Exile Island. She did end up way to
3: take my thunder, temp. You just still you don't you still don't know your place in this damn podcast. That was my little bit, but oh no, Mike Bloom comes in and he gives the, the hot take <laughs> that no one knows about. So please, know, Paul, Mike Bloom. Paul, tell you... us what poverty does
4: on Exile Island. Paul,
1: you poured out your bag and the bit wasn't in there, so I thought that you didn't really <laughs> have the factoid in there. So I, you know what, I'm, I'm gonna hand this over to you i'm gonna i'm gonna give this factoid to paul paul why don't you take over
3: by the way, you totally butchered the way you said bag there. But anyway, um, I don't know if you want to add on to this, Mike, but it did come up um, in her exit press once the game was over that Parvati did, in fact, find the hidden immunity idol and left it behind on Exile Island because she thought it would complicate things too much in the game. And as she does mention on the show, it was better just to keep that out of the hands of Natalie and Eric and just keep that away from, from those two. So she did find the idol. Did I miss something, Mike?
1: No, that's that's pretty much it.
3: You know, when Mike
0: mentioned that Parvati found the idol, I knew instantly that Paul was going to give some nerd <laughs> trivia about it.
2: But you, you brought up a point earlier, Mike. It, it, it's it's an interesting time in the sense of weaponizing Exile Island to find the idol because, man, I I always figure what you know what what this what goes on in the Survivor producers' minds because, like, in earlier seasons, like in 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 the original Exile in Survivor Panama, Exile Island, Skulls of Fire of Doom, like. They, you know, the first person that was on Exile Island just got that vague clue from probes where, like, you, there's no way you find the idol. And, like, you had to have been on Exile Island for, like, a certain number of days in order to get enough clues to know where to dig for the idol. And that's sort of how they did it the first couple of years. And then they said they didn't want to do that anymore at some point. They're like, no, that's no good. And you could think, well, it's because they wanted more idols to be found quicker to maybe be used in the game. Or you know, they were thinking maybe it's not an advantage. Like, you get sent to Exile Island, like, the first time, you don't have enough clues to dig the, for the idol, so it's like, there, it's it's really uh, moot, whereas like, if you go the fourth or fifth time, then you've got enough clues to dig it up, and so there's an advantage to go at that point. But this time, it's like, every time you go, you could find the idol. There's It's literally just, uh, you know, spend a couple hours going place to place and finding clues, and then, you know, look somewhere or dig somewhere or something like that. So it's like, it seems like every time you go to Exile Island in in this season, you could just find the idol. It's just there for you, so
0: yeah. you know, might as well. Yeah, we're starting to get to the point in Survivor history where they really want idols to be used and played, so they're making them easier and easier, and I don't want to date this podcast when we recorded this, but there may be seasons in the future, say around seasons 19 or 20, when the producers are just handing idols to people, like under the table, so that that's where, that's where I can see maybe we'd be going after season 16 here.
1: Yeah, let's also realize this is the fourth an Immunity Idol this season to enter the game. You had Ozzy's that left, Jason's that left, Amanda's that got used, and now the one that Parvati found. That's insanely ramped up from, you know, even Survivor Fiji, they had, what, three? And they had two in the game at once. So considering that they had a singular Mm -hmm. Immunity Idol that was in the game at some point four times... We're definitely, and we're going to talk a bunch in this podcast about the turn that Survivor is going to take with Micronesia. This is definitely one of those signs of the show, not necessarily the game, but the show taking a definitive turning point in terms of putting these in the game.
0: Yep, absolutely. And that's I mean, one of the reasons why I think so many fans and probes thinks this is the definitive all-time best season because the idols get used. Alright, so we come back from the war. Eric and uh, Amanda had their little, their massage session, and they come back, and Eric comes back to find an absolutely furious Natalie, who already hated him. Sari has been stoking the fire, and Natalie won't even look at him, won't even talk to him. And, of course, here comes Sari, more than happy to tell Eric, you know, Natalie's pissed at you. So Sari is going to keep this fire, this this feud going. And it's just a a comedy of errors for poor Eric here, where... (laughs) You know, Ceres pulled Eric aside. Let's talk. And Eric's like, "Well, I don't know what to do now. Maybe, maybe our strategy now should be to vote out N- Natalie or Amanda. Maybe I can go with you." And of course, Natalie hears this right behind him. So, <laughs> so now it's oh, Eric. I mean, Eric has not being careful whatsoever. Natalie is standing literally right behind him as he says this. Natalie hears Eric's going to vote me out. Oh no! And then and Natalie gives a confessional. You know, I could have literally bitch slapped him, smack him like his mother.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which made me a uh, clamor for a uh, T Bird versus Natalie season. <laughs> <The> violence <laughs> like, against mothers season
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah, violence against mothers. Uh, bird against <laughs> cat in the true showdown.
0: <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Seree has now you know stoked that fire, the fight between uh, Natalie and Eric, and now Sari, of course, goes to Amanda and says. You know, Eric wants to vote you out. <laughs> so Sari's just stirring up all this shit, and everyone's just getting furious. And again, this is all Sari. It's just Eric being not careful and Sari just actively instigating fights, and it's it's glorious when you watch what she's doing here.
1: Oh, yeah. And and again, it really sets up a very, very dire situation for Eric. He probably thought in winning the reward, he was trying through some sort of perception in his head to be building some sort of social currency. And like he says, like, oh,
4: I forgive you, Amanda. I'm glad that we're BFFs now.
1: And now Amanda just completely burned that bridge again. And he just says, I made a lot of mistakes. Uh, (laughs) So it's, it's clear that Eric and he makes out the situation here that he really needs to win immunity or else he is guaranteed to go home.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And this is where Amanda now confronts Eric and says, you know, I know, I heard. You can't make deals with every single person. It all comes back here. There's four women. We're going to talk. And and so, yeah. And so, Eric, yeah, Eric, he knows now. I I basically need to win immunity here. I've screwed up so much. I mean, again, this was 70% Siri, 30% Eric again. So it's not all Eric, but he is a hapless victim to what is about to happen here. Okay, so we're going to go into the immunity challenge here. All right, this is the final five immunity challenge after Sari has stirred everything up. Everyone's mad at Eric. And again, guess, guess which one player has nothing to do with any of this and does not factor into the storyline at all. Hey, it's Parvati. Nothing to do with this episode so far, pretty much. All right, so the immunity challenge. This is the one where they have to use coordinates and they cross the two ropes in the sand. They have to dig and, and uh, pull up puzzle pieces and solve the puzzle, right? You have to spell three different puzzles out.
1: Yes, and the final one, quite ironically, is guaranteed final four. <laughs>
0: Excellent. Because <laughs> the producers are fun like that. Yeah, so Eric wins immunity. It's not all that close here. He wins again, and he's basically just going to immunity his way all the way to the end. That's what he has to do. These girls are socially playing the games in circles around him. He has no chance. So he wins immunity, and uh, that's it. It's the, One of the four girls is going home we go back to camp and uh Natalie starts begging the girls you know if it's if it's going to be me please just tell me i don't want to be blindsided and uh as where Suri, of course working her magic she's like you know Eric he worked us all yesterday he was just playing us he was manipulating us and and she wonders she's like
1: you know i wonder if Eric would give up that necklace <laughs> uh it's i mean it's insane to watch i remember it being insane to watch at the time because You know, this was not unprecedented. We did see Jenna Maraska give up immunity to Heidi and Amazon. If this counts, Burton did give up his immunity to Rupert that he won since the outcasts were already immune. It was still something that you could feasibly do, but to have someone who was in the bottom of the totem pole, definitively on the tribe, win guaranteed safety, to try to convince him to give up that guaranteed safety and most definitely go home is ridiculous. Even Natalie says here like who would fall for that? I feel stupid for just like listening to you right now. Uh but it seems like the more they talk about it the more excited they get. Like we said before, they throw a Hail Mary and it really pays off.
0: Yeah. And what what a lot of people don't remember, it's not just getting him to give up immunity. It really is close to the Katie and Ian thing in Palau. I I didn't really realize the parallels until Mike brought it up. But yeah, so Amanda tells Natalie, yeah, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to say by giving up this immunity, you can you can you can redeem yourself. You can prove you're a good person. You're not just screwing everyone over, and that you'll have faith that we won't vote you out. And then Sari pipes in, yeah, and if he gives up your, his necklace to you, we'll all vote for Amanda. And so they're all just kind of piping at it, but it's all about a, red- a redemption thing. We're going to redeem his honor, which, again, is very, very similar to that Katie and Tom and Ian situation at the end of
3: Palau. What I think is great about it is that you're seeing like these great minds kind of working together, and I, I can't really point to very many other scenes in Survivor where we, where we see people who are very good at the game and good at social skills bouncing ideas and seeing this idea really form in front of our eyes I think they really were lucky that they captured all that and the way it's put together you really see how each of them is using their own strengths their own ideas to come up with this brilliant plan and then of course you have someone like Eric to, to execute it on which normally you wouldn't have that in a season but I think it's very fun to watch these four women really work together to pull one over on him.
1: Yeah Parvati is going to use the term heist a lot in the finale and it, it's a strange comparison But this almost does feel like something out of, like, Ocean's Eleven, where, as you said, Paul, each person sort of has their fragment of the play. You know, Ceres is the brains behind the operation. Amanda and Natalie are both going to manipulate Eric's emotions since they have the closest connections to them. Parvati could have had an idol to use as well, but she decided to leave it on Exile Island for some reason. So it's really fun to watch this big job that they're doing, to be able to work one over on the rube that is Eric.
0: And I, I hate to keep piling on Parvati here, but I have to point it out here. There's, we're going to get scene after scene here of people talking strategy and coming up with all these plans, and then Parvati will just kind of interject something mean. And that's just kind of how would these scenes go. And this scene is no, no exception to that, where we'll do this, it'll be great, and we'll do this, and then Parvati just pipes in with, Ozzy, Jason, and Eric, he belongs in that trio. Like, she doesn't actually have anything to contribute other than to say Eric sucks. And this is going to show up in her voting comments, too, just something I like to point out. So
2: you're telling me, that Parvati says really biting and mean things about the contestants out there that she's playing with. Yes. I just don't see the evidence for this. <laughs>
5: yes.
0: I
2: yeah, don't she's... see it in this season. I don't see it in Heroes vs. Villains. I just don't see it ever. I don't. I, you've <laughs> got to be lying.
0: I think Eliza maybe even alludes to it very vaguely
1: in her, in her final yes, jersey. Very too. subtle. She drops that in. Oh.
2: Well, I mean, can you believe anything that comes out of Eliza's? No, no, (laughs) no. It can't. No.
0: Okay, so here's the, the heist, the plan is in motion and now, like like Mike said, Natalie even says, you know, I feel stupid just listening to this plan. But she's like, Alright, I'll do it and she goes to she goes to Eric. All right, here's here's the wacky plan, Eric. <laughs> like here's the funny part. You give me immunity. And Eric's like, No, I'm not gonna do it. So Eric Eric does it. He actually says no at first. He's like, This is stupid, I'm not gonna do this. But he's like, But I will talk to Suri because you know that's gonna work out well for him. So he goes to Suri and and he's like uh so if i if i give this necklace to Natalie you'll vote with me and we'll vote for Amanda and Suri, of course is oh yeah of course why that sounds fantastic let's do that so it's yeah so siri of course just backs up the plan and now it's as she says later we got him on the hook we just got to pull him in here and it's it's very painful to watch and Suri even gives a confessional here where she's like if eric she's laughing she's like if eric takes that necklace off his torch would be stuffed
1: so quick and she can barely even finish that sentence but here we go Uh, just like ozzy's poncho let's spread the blanket over eric's coffin here at tribal (laughs) council
0: yeah and they even start to pile it on here i think it's uh and amanda Agree because okay tonight at tribal council, if he he might not decide to give us the necklace, but let's just blast him and talk about how he's the worst person in the world and we all hate him, and the jury hates him, just blast him at tribal council, and maybe we can convince him at the last minute that he needs this redemption, so they have they have all the contingencies covered here, like you no know, matter even if he doesn't do it at first, maybe we can get him to do it right at the last minute so this this is just this huge conspiracy working against poor Eric here
3: right well it's also a perfect setup for these three returning players too because it's like uh, if it doesn't work out like you know we lose natalie and and whatever but if it does work out great we get rid of the biggest immunity threat and for natalie of course she's got to you know pull and this is you know her life on the line here so it just really it really is kind of the perfect storm for this to work out that just does not happen very very often
0: yeah although a lot of people don't remember here that eric kind of has his own demands where he says you know i think I think the plan here is to get me to give up the immunity and to vote for poverty, but poverty just went to exile island. She might have that idol, so he goes to Cerie and he presents his demands. He's like, "All right, I'll do this plan, maybe, but we have to vote for poverty, not Amanda."
3: Right. Cerie's like, We're "Yeah, sure,
5: sure, am yeah, Right.
3: It's it's a funny thing. Like Ceri put on like a fake like con like hmm no if you think so okay (laughs) like like if there would be any like like one of the biggest signs here should be for eric like the fact that you could just switch the person here that everyone's still on board with this plan like really bad sign
0: yes but again i gotta give some love to for the way she plays this whole thing and she knows how ridiculous this is and she's laughing her butt (laughs) off and she's like it's working i can't believe it's working all right, so now we go to Tribal Council. Here we are, one of the most iconic Tribal Councils in Survivor history. And, of course, as Mike uh, mentioned earlier, this is where Ozzy decides to uh, make the uh, the introduction of the the Fiesta Poncho, his big yellow, green, and red poncho.
1: Oh, boy. And it's really funny. As well. We talked a little bit at the end of the last podcast about Alexis's um, Ponderosa video where, like, her and Eliza are – really trying to go through lengths to pick out an outfit and he's like hey that poncho looks good let me throw that on so it, it definitely ranks up there in terms of iconic jury uh fashion choices
0: wait he brought that's his poncho he didn't like find it in a closet at ponderosa or something I have no idea.
1: he might have just taken the tablecloth off the picnic table and just th- to cut a hole <laughs> in it and threw it over his head i have no damn idea with ozzy at this point <laughs>
0: Yes, it's just a wonderful scene, similar to Colby's hat in Australia, one of my favorites, where just a random clothing item shows up that's ridiculous. There's no explanation for it. Here comes Ozzy in his bright yellow poncho at Tribal Council. So just keep an eye out for you when you watch the scene again. It's the, only, the Eric episode is the only one it shows up in. All right so we go to tribal council and all the questions are coming and Eric does admit when when pressed by probes and all the while all the women are yelling at him that Eric says you know I probably knew, do need some kind of a redemption here so Suri's so eyes and Amanda's eyes are getting all big oh my god he might actually go for this and uh, and uh this, you see in the jury when Eric starts hinting that maybe he needs a redemption, maybe he might need to give his idol up. You just look over in the jury, and there's James <laughs> laughing his ass off and Ozzy just shaking his head and looking down. They all know what's about to happen.
1: Eric, take a hint. You have yeah. literally like 12 people around you laughing at you doing this idea. Maybe you shouldn't do this idea. <laughs>
3: meanwhile yeah. he's just thinking how could i like vote parv out in a really kind of cool way like the sweetest <laughs> way possible yeah that's gonna be he's awesome th- i'm gonna have such an epic vote he's thinking of a zinger how do i zing that sixth place girl from cook islands
0: she's been asking for it yeah this is the sign that you know the plan might backfire when you look over in the jury and jason siska is laughing at you <laughs>
1: Come on, babe. Just give it up. Just give up the idol, babe. And if you do and you get voted out, well, that's a bummer. I wouldn't have given it up. If I gave it up, I would have been such a fool. (laughs) Yes. So Jason
0: Siska laughs. We got Ozzy laughing. We got Eliza going absolutely bonkers over in the jury. And Eric now gives up his immunity necklace to Natalie, thereby making himself vulnerable for the four women who want nothing more to do than vote him out of the game. And this is where just all hell breaks loose now. Where <laughs> Eric goes up and casts his vote. And of course, he casts the uh, the vertical vote. Mm-hmm. Is that the it might be the first vertical vote in Survivor history? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But he write, writes it vertically, and then he's like, "I hope this works." Oh God!
1: <laughs> so he he kind of knows what might be coming. And again, like if we keep getting these shots of like him crossing his fingers, and looking over the jury, like, "Oh, I hope it happens." And they like Eric look at how they're reacting to you. This obviously did not work from the get-go, and I kind of love the shot of when he walks up to the podium since he's the first to vote. The other four women just all look at each other, and I know that, like, in Tribal Council, usually I don't think you're supposed to, like, talk to anyone or really gesture to anyone while the voting is taking place, but they broke rank here to just sort of all look at each other like, how the hell did we just pull that off? And I, production let it happen because, like, I mean, production is as dumbfounded as they are, concerning that this is the only time in Survivor history, unless Paul, do you do you want to take this one, or should I should I say it?
3: Keep going, Temp Bloom,
1: where they show no, actually keep going. They show every single vote that's cast at this Tribal Council.
0: Yeah, I was just noticing that in my notes as well. It's one of the few times when they just show every single voting
3: comment.
5: <laughs>
0: yeah, Although no surprises I guess- here. Yeah, to go follow up my uh, prediction for my comments on earlier that you can you can see a lot about a person's character how they behave when they beat somebody in a competition and it says a lot about the characters here when you watch their voting comments for Eric, where Natalie comes up there and she's just dumbfounded she's like I have no idea how that happened but thank you and Amanda doesn't even know what to say she just sits there with her mouth open uh. <laughs> and then Siri Sari is the master of the voting confessional. I don't know if you guys noticed. She always holds the ballot up over her face, so you only see her eyes kind of peering over it. And it's, it's such a perfect analogy to the way she plays the game that you never see her come, and you just kind of see her lurking back there. And so Sari says, you know, my mom always said, you might not beat him with your muscles, but you're going to beat him with your brain. And then she apologizes to Eric. I'm sorry it had to be you. So you had the three just dumbfounded, you know, gracious winners. And then Poverty comes up there and says, Eric, you suck. You're the stupidest. You're the dumbest survivor ever. So, there you go. Just wanted to point out, once again, poverty may not be the nicest person sometimes. And with that, four votes for Eric, although there is a, a great underrated moment when Probes pulls out the one vote for poverty, Eric's little vertical vote, and he gets so put out because he has to turn it sideways. He's
1: got this little annoyed <laughs> look on his face. Uh, he's one degree from Denver Diva territory in terms of Probes throwing a hissy fit. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a great little pissy look on Jeff's face.
0: <laughs> and then the four Eric votes come up.
4: Oh, God. You guys drive me crazy.
0: <laughs> yes. It is, really is a great moment. It's, it's one of those, Eric seems to take it pretty well, and it's, you know, I, I write about funny moments, the funny 115, so this was always one of those things. Is this really a funny moment, or is it just pathetic? Like, do I really want to pile on this guy and just laugh, at then because the editors are clearly making fun of him, all the players are making fun of him. Like, normally, if you think back to the early days of Survivor, where the jury is just there to sit and observe, They've broken that rule by this point. Now they're just cutting over to there, and James is announcing, "I'm not the stupidest survivor anymore." And Eliza's laughing, and they're all cheering. Like they've completely broken that rule that the jury is just spectators at this point. Now we're expected to watch their reaction. It's just, it's really piling on to Eric, and he's, again, it's it's it would be an interesting debate question to think if this was a if this was a very ethical episode or not to show the way they did. But that's what happens, and and poor Eric. Yeah, like uh, I think, like your Paul just said that. Or, you guys drive me crazy. Just a funny little
1: comment. Which is uh, probably Eric's favorite Britney Spears song. Apologies, Paul. That's probably his ringtone as well. Um, <laughs> what, I, what I will say about Eric is again, I think the Ian comparison withholds because Eric's going to get this question at the reunion of you know, do you regret doing this move? And he says what is a very similar answer to when Ian stepped out of the final three, which is like, you know, initially I regretted it, but the more I looked forward, I realized that to get your way to the end in survivor, you have to do a lot of things morally and ethically speaking that I really was not prepared to do. I think both, both Eric and Ian showed that the things to do to win survivors sometimes are just things that they're not going to do as people. And so, from a logistical standpoint of you want to win the game of course both of those are dumb things to do they essentially put themselves up for immediate elimination and as a result were succinctly eliminated but at the same time it was more so actually a moral victory for both of them in that as you said eric takes it very well in stride eric has been a super good sport about all this i think even in his ponderosa you know I think if any other person had really gone through with that and being called one of the dumbest survivor players ever, especially as such a big fan, like you would be crying, you'd have a huge mental breakdown, you'd like become a hermit, segregate yourself from society. But the fact that Eric is able to not only embrace it shows that like he actually is pretty happy with his decision. So we can definitely clock it for him uh, from uh, an objective standpoint in survivor gameplay. But from his subjective viewpoint, he's totally fine with the move he made.
0: Yeah, I think if you, I mean, again, I haven't read a lot of interviews with Eric over the years, but I would assume he would say he didn't really, I mean, he he would say admit he got played, but at the same time he would say, you know what, I just wasn't that good. They were better than me. So what are you going to do?
2: I don't really have any more things to add, honestly. Like, I think the, the moment speaks for itself. And as I said earlier in the podcast, it's a moment that had to happen. You know, you remember all those seasons ago where Jeff was like, you know you want immunity, but you can give it away. Was it Marquesas where he was really stressing that? Yeah, it mm-hmm, was where yeah. you just you know, it he's like you know you you can give your immunity away and it's like you know that that when they when they thought of that wrinkle, they were thinking of things like, oh, someone will you know give away the immunity to protect someone and and they were thinking you know the the larger picture you know they were when they when they we're letting people know that you could, in theory, give up your immunity or give it to somebody else. Is that, you know, by giving your immunity to somebody else, you make yourself vulnerable and then you would get voted out. They're like, how delicious would that be, you know, if that were the, the television thing? And so the whole time, you know that the producers are like, man, I, I really want that to happen. Where someone gives up their immunity and then they're vulnerable and then they get voted out. And it happens here. And, I mean, it's such... You know, th- this is, you know, because like, you know, Jenna Maraska gives up her immunity to hide it, but like, it didn't matter. Like, none of them were going home, you know, and it's, it's this inconsequential moment. And sometimes Survivor has these things where the first person that does something, it's just very innocuous. But in this sense, Eric gives up his immunity <laughs> and he gets voted out. And I mean, you know, he's the first person to get voted out because of that. But I mean, it was such a, is a late stage in the game. It was this Black Widow Brigade. And it was just the way that the women did it, the way that they, you know, made him, you know feel like he absolutely had to do it it wasn't just like you know i want to do it out of the goodness of my heart it was i have to do this to redeem myself they, they fed him a story and he sort of bought it and i mean it's it's just it, it's just classic stuff
1: which then it makes for what i think is a very strong group of episodes from the merge up to this point somewhat of a lackluster finale moving in because we're going to see you know sari who if we're going along with mario's logic that like this episode was really her episode it's all going to come crashing down for her about halfway through this finale and then it's going to come crashing down for amanda about 20 minutes after that so a, a really weird way to end the season considering how momentous the rest of it was up to this point yeah, I was just
0: thinking that when I was watching this, these episodes today, that, you know, you have these three figures, you know, whether you agree that, you know, Parvati, Amanda, Sri are the greatest players of all time. They're clearly very popular, iconic characters that are all have done very well historically in Survivor. So if you would think that a, that a season that ends with those three at the end would just end with like a, a gunfight, it'd be fantastic, the best of the best, but it really just, it kind of fizzles out here. One gets surprised by the final two and then the jury votes really who do you like less than the other one. It's like, it really isn't the big momentous finale you think it's going to be with characters of this stature. That's, that's the problem
1: with this finale that that I feel anyway.
0: Although before we get there, I do have to point out Eric's
1: final words. Remember what they were? Uh, the only thing I wrote down was that he, he's like, oh, you know, it was tough getting stranded with crazy,
4: (laughs) sexy women.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Right. There's a damn in there. Uh yeah. a damn in there for sure.
0: That's what I was getting at. That's that the one of the funny one fifteen entries I have is the wimpy little way Eric says damn or he's like damn. Like it's it's not the, the angry damn. It's my, my wife's that was my wife's suggestion for the funny one fifteen. And she just happened to be in the room when I was watching Eric get voted out today. And Eric's final words, he opens up we cut to him and he's like, Damn, damn he says it twice. So just wanted to say there's one last memory of Eric saying damn twice.
3: Before we uh transition to the finale, like like, Eric gets over this so fast if you watch the Ponderosa stuff with him. It's, like, his the second um Ponderosa segment, it's called, like, Eric at Ponderosa. It's all about what Ozzy's doing um, yeah. on the show. Like, Eric is like, whatever, cool, whatever. He's like, yeah, everyone on the jury's laughing at me, and everyone laughed at me in the game, but whatever. <laughs> and then we just watch Ozzy do cool stuff. So, he's like, whatever. Yeah. And then Siska's there saying,
0: you know, I beat Ozzy in two challenges. I'm basically Ozzy.
3: Now watch me do this slack line. <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, poor Eric, and then Probes of course, is gonna. He's a, he's a producer of a TV show. He's like, I think that's what you call a life lesson. He's gonna be harping this for years. Like Eric learned a life lesson about women. So, I don't think Eric really cared that much. But yeah, Propes is gonna hype harp on this one for years.
1: But to be fair, at least in the reunion. He was a little nice to Eric. He's like, Eric, we love you, but... And I, they really make a moment out of it in the reunion. I'm saying this now because I know we're probably not going to talk about the reunion that much, but they have they have James actually mime, taking off his crown as the dumbest survivor ever and passing it to Eric. There's actual miming going on in a survivor reunion. This is the point where we've gotten to in this franchise. But Jeff at least <laughs> set, like tries to rounded off nicely by being like well, eric you're you're a great sport you take this in stride because i again i think someone of you know imagine you know Brandon Hans is going to be a, another person who who goes into this situation i do not think he would take this the exact same way if probes treated him like this
0: yeah i would agree with that although it's funny this isn't something i had planned to talk about but i just want to throw this out there for an interesting discussion question we don't really have to get into it but <clears throat> it's funny when you hear people talk about palau and they talk about oh Ian and or, uh, Katie and Tom were so horrible to to Ian like Katie was just mean and Tom was a bully and that was just unethical but everyone loves when the women did it to Eric in Micronesia oh it was they they got him to, to need a redemption they tricked him it was the most hilarious thing ever so i would just like people to it's not so much that you should i think uh not think highly on micronesia but like you know give Katie and Tom a little A little credit here, I don't know why they get so much hatred over the exact same thing that the Black Widow Brigade did in Micronesia, yet everyone hates Tom about it. So it's one of those things, like, it's the exact same storyline. You can't pick and choose that one was way better than the other one. They're the same thing, basically.
1: I think Survivor, just like I talked about with Eric's comments at the reunion, Survivor is a game where, to win, you're going to have to do some bad things. The range of bad things depends on the person, but it actually segues really nicely into what we're about to see happen to Amanda throughout the course of this finale— is the fact that she's really unable to speak up on the fact that she has done some bad things, and she's going to try to walk back at all the bad things she's done, and as a result, she's really not going to look good in front of the jury at the end of the day.
2: I think the difference, very quickly, Mario, I think the slight difference between uh, the instance in Palau and the instance here is, look, you know, I, I think that whether you're, you know, look, people have gone on Survivor and they have come out of seasons not really liking other people. You know, like the, there have been rivalries and hatreds that come out. But I, I think that for the most part, if you go on a season of Survivor, whether you're on the starting tribe with someone or on the opposite tribes or merge or you fall in the opposite parts of alliances, you know, you're on a season of Survivor together and you bond, right? And and, and bonding, I think, inevitably for most people that aren't Brian Heidek happens out there on the islands. And so, you know, is Eric bonded with Seri and, and Amanda and Parvey and Natalie? Yeah, in a way. But I think that you know Tom and Ian and and Katie really formed deep bonds and friendships, and were working like together on a real friendship level. And they had this you know deep alliance going. And then they used that real deep friendship stuff to really sort of you know put the mind screw on Ian at the end of the game. Whereas they put the mind screw on Eric, and he's sort of on the other side of their alliance. Yeah, and it's like it's one of those where it's like. You know, it's it's essentially, I guess, you know, you're sitting there going, well, it's the same thing. But it's like I think that the the emotional level between the two is not the same. In fact, I, I think it's just it's a chasm between the two as far as the emotional level and depth of the mind screw in either in both of these things.
0: OK, yeah, you make a good point. It's really not even a, a Micronesia discussion. It's more of a Palau discussion. We may have already talked yeah. about all this. Yeah, we did. <laughs> all right. So here we go into the finale. This is where I, I do believe the season it's not so much that it falls apart and has a a bad ending as it just it just kind of ends. It it's a very unsatisfying ending in my opinion. Uh, so we get to the final four and uh, it's the it's the four girls. that's Natalie and then the the three uh, the returning favorites: Amanda, Parvati, and uh, Suri You know they're all jumping around and squealing and hugging. It's all exciting because they made it here. And and then Parvati, of course starts bragging oh you know, every they keep falling into our trap over and over and over it's like yeah you were fantastic the way you worked eric over poverty. you did nothing to do with that but okay and but, it, but yeah. this is where the narrative of the story i was going to say they 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 start saying it's four blindsides in a row we just blindsided four people but i'm like wait a minute the alexis this one you weren't even trying to vote alexis out you're trying to vote amanda out so it didn't quite work out the way you were hoping there am i incorrect on that did
2: vote
1: for alexis Poverty voted for Alexis, so it was was a, you know, it Poverty might have been speaking more so towards herself, but yeah, I mean, (laughs) they are definitely painting it on thick, we just talked about, like, production definitely kind of pointing and laughing at Eric with the editing choices at the end of that Tribal Council, and they do so here as well, with starting off the finale being like, hey, remember when Eric did that really dumbass move, and granted, I'm pretty sure this was when the finales were still on Sundays, so this only happened, like, three days before, but they're still really emphasizing that Eric did this thing. And it really almost, you know, we'll have this one confessional where Natalie's like, oh, I feel like I'm on the bottom now, but I have a pretty good relationship with Poverty that I can use. But that's pretty much all we get until the immunity challenge.
0: Yeah. But uh, what I was saying, I think it's in the previously on Survivor going into the finale, where probes is saying, four amazing blindsides in a row. What a season. And again, my argument is, but the, the Alexis one wasn't really... Like they didn't all team up to take out Alexis. They t- They teamed up to take out Amanda and- <laughs> Mario. Yeah. Specifics. It I sounds like better, Okay. The narrative isn't quite as strong as they like to paint it as. Yeah,
2: yeah it, it's not as strong. Not not just the Alexis thing. I mean, it, it was a blindside in the sense that they didn't know Alexis was going home because you know the it was an idle play. But you're right. It, it was an idle play. Um, I guess you can say that. And and the other thing is that you could. I guess you could say Ozzy was blindsided, right? Yeah. Like. There's that. But, like, Amanda didn't vote for the blindside. So, like, this Black Widow Brigade that we're going to, this Final Four, didn't vote together in that blindside. So yeah. there's that. And then, you know, okay, we blindsided Jason
0: Sisko. like, oh God, you did, you're counting that? Like, you're counting that? <laughs> that that yeah. counts? That's like, like I threw a ball for my dog and then I didn't actually throw the ball and I tricked him 800 times in a row. Look, I blindsided yeah. my dog. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so you're like, four strong blindsides in a row, and it's like, okay, there's the Alexis idling and then, you know, Eric just giving up immunity, which I mean, that's not a blindside like that's just I don't it's know different. what that is. <laughs> that's different. And, and then you have you blindsided Jason Siska as you're another one. It's like we had one really good blindside in Ozzy that not all of us voted for. And then we had three vote outs that were kind of something.
5: Yeah.
0: And James went home. Immediately those were all iconic episodes and they were fun but this is where yeah the the show really starts getting into this blindside stuff whereas that's the end all be all of every episode
2: Well yes but we're we're painting here like 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 okay so we're at the finale and obviously you know narratives are being set and we we have to we, we got to sell this narrative that Parvati is going to win this game, right? And we, we come out of this, and this is where Jeff is going to just start. I mean, really, this this is where the producers in Survivor are hammering home the Parvati, the quote-unquote femme fatale kind of thing. Oh, so yes. we're, we're, we're really going to get into this now. And, I mean, I, I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on this. I think we all sort of roll our eyes at that. But but this is, this is where Jeff at least is selling this narrative that Parvati shoots down later in an interview, which is great. But, you know.
0: Yes. Yeah, this is this is an incredibly difficult story for anybody to tell. I mean, I have some sympathy for the producers, because I don't know how you tell the end of the season. But all right, here we go. We're going to try our, to do our best to muddle through this one. All right. So yeah, so like Jay said, we had Natalie in poverty. Natalie says, Oh, Poverty's my best friend. She'll look out for me. Okay, yeah, that's gonna work out well. Okay. So we go to the final four immunity challenge. This is one where they're standing on a perch and they have to bring up the water and then fill a little tube, and then when it gets to a certain level they can jump off and do a puzzle because every challenge must end in a puzzle now.
3: Well, I remember so, going into this, I was like, Is this the final immunity challenge? And like really listening for the wording as this challenge is getting set up, and we never hear the final immunity challenge. That's I remember being very suspicious as this this challenge started.
1: Yeah, so this this is probably the big thing of the finale that people remember the most is that this is the finale that revealed the surprise final two. And there is a lot of airtime devoted to this. It's basically every time tree mail comes, you get confessions from people wondering like, okay, like Paul said, is this the final immunity challenge? There's a final three, right? There's gotta be a final three. So looking back on it, when you know, there's not a final three and especially knowing what happens to Sari, it can be a little tough to swallow and it's a lot to swallow.
0: Yeah, yeah. this is a long finale. There's a lot that happens here. All right, so Amanda, this immunity challenge is rather quick. Amanda pretty much dusts everyone, and uh, on the puzzle part at the end, she wins. So Amanda wins immunity. She's going to the final three for the second season in a row. Again, for people who don't remember this, I mean, China was right before this. So Amanda has now basically played, what, 78 consecutive days of survivor
5: <laughs> and, it, and it, it, it
1: will it will show considering her somewhat emotional breakdowns that will occur over the next couple days
0: yeah i again i would agree with that as well i think that really played a part in her breaking down here okay so yeah so amanda wins immunity the other three are left vulnerable and natalie thinks that she might be the lowest person in the totem pole she thinks she's in trouble and uh let's see what happens here they will discuss letting the chickens loose because now this is the, like their final. They think it's like the final two days on Survivor, and someone makes the joke they have a male and a female chicken. They can let the chickens loose, and then they'll have sex, and it'll be very fitting in the season because then the female will rip the male apart. <laughs> I, don't, just, I
1: don't know if actually, Natalie was thinking about chickens or praying mantises.
0: <laughs> yes, yes, that is traditional chicken behavior when you devour your mate. All right, so yeah, Natalie starts going to Parvati to help her tonight, and they talk about the bond, how Natalie's really become close to Parvati over the, over the past couple weeks, and they have close discussions, a very intimate discussion, she says, which will take on a little different tone when we get to the cherry question at the end. Uh, and so this is where Parvati and Amanda start you know, making fun of Cerie, saying, you know, Cerie's just lucky to be here with us all along. We kind of dragged her. She didn't do a whole lot. And uh, so so it's really going to come down to who's going to get voted out tonight. Are they going to stick with the three favorites and vote out Natalie? Or are they going to take out three because Parvati and Amanda keep saying that they don't really respect her and she's too shady and they don't want her in the finale? So it's that's the open question going into this final four vote before what they think is the finale or so the, t- final, the, the final tribal council.
1: So the question I have is, all right, let's drop any pretense that they thought it was a final three. Let's say that they knew it was a final two going in. Could Natalie go to Seri and say, "Let's break up"? You know, the power duo of Amanda and Parvati. Could they? Could she essentially do what what Terry did to Danielle? The first time that Sari got eliminated and tried to force a tie there? Because I think Suri in Exit Press says, you know, I could have voted with Natalie to force a tie, but at the same time, I thought I, we were guaranteed final three and I didn't want to betray them. But if a final two was in front of them, do you think Sari would be more likely to vote with Natalie and try to eliminate one of Amanda? Oh, I guess it would be Parvati in this case, and she, Amanda is immune.
3: Yeah, it's, well, I think it's it's a possibility that I think she definitely would just have been thinking about the endgame much differently, and that definitely would have been a possibility she would have bowled over and not have been so complacent with going to the end with with Amanda and Parvati.
0: Yeah, it really comes down to uh, – I, I, I assume back at that point in history they thought that the Final Four tiebreaker would be drawing rocks, so it comes down to do you think Surya would be willing to draw rocks – to well, well, but Serene, took,
1: Serene took place, took part in that final four fire-making tiebreaker, and apparently they entered Survivor Palau so many times during the damn questionnaire that you would think they've seen Palau as well. So I think Serene knew that you know Natalie and Parvati would probably be making fire in that case.
0: Yeah, yeah, I do think if had it been a final two, she may have played it a little differently. And just because I have great respect for Serene as a strategist, I. She's not an idiot. She knows what her best chances are. I think she was very worried about Amanda and Poverty teaming up against her. All right, so uh, we go to the Tribal Council, the final four. Uh, there's a nice cute scene at the start where Eric arrives, and he and Natalie and Amanda all smile at each other, and Natalie gives them a big thumbs up. So it seems like they're all still kind of on good terms. And uh, this is where Jeff starts pushing the narrative again, where, he, where they all get there. Jeff's like, I can't believe you did four
1: blindsides in a row. That was so incredible. It's like, all right, let's keep shoveling it on, Jeff. Yeah, weird Jeff and- props me mu- m- moment here where Natalie's like, he's like, Natalie, is it going to be a blindside tonight? And she's like, probably not. And Jeff makes this like, what face? Like, yeah. you have the audacity to not produce a blindside? Yeah, Natalie's
0: like... You know, every vote's been a blindside, but I think we all have too much respect for one another to blindside at this point. (laughs) Jeff's like, what the fuck are you talking about?
3: Well, she doesn't say it that confidently herself, either. She's like, I think we respect each other too much. And Jeff's like, huh?
0: (laughs) Yeah, this is where Parvati keeps piling onto the narrative as well, where she says, I think this was the most strategic game in history, Jeff. And Jeff's like, nods. Oh, yeah, it was. So we're, we're we're really pushing this, though. This was an amazing season. And so, uh, And so this is – Jeff says, uh, how sure are you guys – yeah, this is where he kind of hints at it for the first time. How sure are you guys that all you need to do is get to the final three? And that's the first time that question is planted in his head. Like, maybe it's not a final three. Like, we haven't had a final two since when? When was the last final two before this?
1: Exile Island.
0: Exile Island. So it's been a a couple – yeah, it's been a while. And so Amanda says, well, no one is assuming it isn't a final two, which is complete crap because, of course, they're all assuming it's not a final two at this point. But yeah, this is where And then they, Amanda and Sari get in a little argument here where Sari says, you know, I'm always at the bottom of the alliance. That's my problem. I never really fit in. And Amanda's like, what do you mean you're at the bottom? You've never been at the bottom. You're always an equal part of the alliance. So it's this is going to show up after the vote as well. There's a little uh, tension between Sari and Amanda. But uh, let's see. Yeah, I just kind of wrote in my notes here, Jeff seems super downbeat and, and bored, this whole tribal council. This is kind of the way he says stuff. It's He's not as active as you think he'd be, as energetic about a season that he apparently loves.
4: He's
1: just—he's st- he's starting to do really, say, really weird, you know, when we sort of stereotype modern-day Jeff nowadays, I feel like this is where, again, we're starting to see the breadcrumbs here, where he says, like, only a fool would say anything in confidence at Tribal Council. Like, Jeff... That was not the M.O. up to, like, five episodes ago of Survivor. Usually, if you said something in Tribal Council, it most likely was going to happen. It might deviate from the norm a couple times, but now he's sort of building this narrative of, like, Tribal Council is where the magic happens, blindside after blindside. If you're not making blindsides, you're not playing Survivor.
0: Yep. And that will become the war cry as Survivor moves on from here. People aren't playing the game. All right, so, yeah, so Natalie gets blindsided, surprisingly, here. And that is it. That is the last fan. She's out of the game, and now it's just the three favorites. And they all assume that they have made it to the end. Their little Black Widow Brigade, their alliance that they had very early on in the game, where they were, uh, we had Ozzy and James in there, and Ceri said, look, I'm only joining you if you take me to the final three, because we can't beat Ozzy and James. So this this was set very early on in the game, even though, as Jay has pointed out, it wasn't a linear story to get here. There's lots of... People turning on or uh, switching sides, being against each other along the way, but they are here, and we finally have what should be a fantastic final three in Sari, Amanda, and Parvati.
1: Should we, anyone want to eulogize Natalie before we make our way to the final three?
0: I don't want to, I don't really have much to say about her other than she really only has one episode. <laughs> but someone did send me some trivia about Amanda that I wanted to read. He was very insistent. What was his name? Joshua Murphy? Was that his name? Yeah, Joshua He wrote in and he said, make sure to share this on there. He's some inside information about Natalie Bolton. He says, back in 2001, there was a short-lived game show on Comedy Central called Beat the Geeks. The announcer on that show was a model by the name of Tiffany Hendra, who was also known as Tiffany Bolton. Tiffany was and still is the sister of Natalie Bolton. So CBS and Viacom were already familiar with Natalie and had been keeping her in mind for a reality show for a long time. Not sure if you knew that, but it's an interesting piece of trivia that may be worth mentioning on your podcast. So there's a little tie in there of how Natalie ended up on the show that they'd been saving her for a while. She was one of these people they knew would make fantastic TV. So there's your Natalie Bolton trivia for the day, and I don't have much more to say than
3: that about her. Wow, even Renee Siler didn't provide us with that information. That's
1: right. Hard hitting. Uh, I mean, the only thing I'll say about Natalie is, I think we talked about this in the last podcast. I mean, she was apparently right there in the running for Survivor Heroes versus Villains there has been talk big clamor amongst the fans you know we haven't had except for Eric anyone from Survivor Micronesia from the fan side return and people are saying bring back Natalie Bolton I can sort of see it I mean her edit was just very very over the top uh from both on both sides of the spectrum either she was completely silent or she was raging a little, a little sociopathic, little violent in the things that she was saying. And I guess that's the narrative that they were pushing, or at least her mom was when she was in the editing bay. But I'd be intrigued to see what a, a Natalie Bolton would be like if she played so many years later. I feel like what Natalie Bolton was on this show was what people thought Amy Cusack was in Survivor Vanuatu and what Jerry Manthey was. Like, they were saying, like, oh, those are the female villains. This, to me, is the true female villain. Saying, I'm going to floss with people's jugulars. I'm going to bitch slap people. I'm going to call people scum to their face. That's what a female villainess is to me. So Natalie Bolton definitely fits that vibe, weird at it or not.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with that, but she really only had one or two episodes where she was doing that.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the question, you know, is is it longevity or is it not? And as I said before, it was a weird situation. You know, someone, someone wrote in and was talking like, oh, well, you know, if, if the Amanda vote goes through and Amanda gets eliminated from the game, then, you know, the the fans are right there with the favorites as numbers and maybe this turns into a fan sort of game and and maybe it does, but it's like, you got to remember Natalie, you know, and Alexis, even, they were both, uh, you know, working against Eric, uh, you know and, and Cisco when he was there and Eliza and, and sort of buddying up to the favorites as it was. And so Natalie was playing this game where you you're you're in a pretty good spot because she was she was friends with the the favorites specifically the Black Widow Brigade thing. And then she was you know working a bit with Eric and stuff like that. So she had multiple directions to go, which is good. But at the same time, you know she was spreading distrust amongst you know the fans and stuff like that and 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 then she was sort of on the outs of this favorite thing so it's tough like she needed to have one more move like she played a very good game in the sense that she positioned herself to go very very deep into the game and she did she came in fourth and that's about right but then she needed some luck to propel her over the top and maybe that that's that's a strategy for it is for for another day but you know it, She's one where, you know, she played a she played a good game to go far, but she didn't play a 39-day game. You know, it was more like a 36-37-day game and that's sort of what happened to her.
0: Yep, and uh I guess it is fitting she was the last of the fans. I do I do think the story would have worked better if Eric had been the last of the fans, but as Natalie goes, she was a relatively strong character for a season where she was not expected to be the main character.
3: She was friends with Alexis though, so in that way she sucks.
0: That's true. That's she will forever have that black mark on her. Okay, final three. Right, final three, here we go. Again, This is there's a lot of content in this finale, a lot more than most fa- final episodes. Compare this with the uh, Survivor Australia finale, which is basically uh, Colby and Tina and Keith walking around looking at water for an hour. All right, so... Uh, so Amanda, we go back to the camp, and Amanda is mad that Seree tried to make Amanda and Parvati look bad in front of the jury last night. Where she's like, "You tried to make us look like mean girls. Like we don't include you. That's not true at all, Seree." So they have it, kind of have it out here, and and Seree insists I've always been the outsider. It was always the four of you, and then me, or the two of you, and then me. And so we have a little a little tiff here, and then they kind of they kind of make up. So it's over. But it's there's a, there's a little bad feelings between uh, Amanda and Sari here, and of course Parvati off to the side.
3: As it's always. so reminiscent of what happened to Amanda in China, you know, right after that, going into the, the end game and, and Todd making some comments at Tribal Council and her coming back and being upset. And, and you know, there's a lot of parallels. It's touched on in the, in, the, in the reunion show. There's a lot of parallels between the end game of, of Amanda for these for seasons 15 and 16. And this is definitely one of them.
1: Yeah, Amanda's yeah. going to cry enough it, tears here to fill a river that the Australia final three could stare at over the course of the finale.
0: Yes. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So Amanda, she's breaking down. I don't think we've really seen her cry or have fragile moments at any point this season. There may be some. I'm sure Paul knows his Amanda trivia. He could give me timestamps. But yeah, I don't I don't remember if there's a lot. But all of a sudden now she's going to be weepy and sad the entire rest of the season. Amanda's kind of broken now. And I would argue that it's, it's really adding up. 78 days of survivor in a row where these things with her friends keep happening and these fights and you make bonds and have to break them and she's really starting to break down now and i'd argue this is really why she's going to lose the game she has a hard time with this here at the end again all right but now all the all three of them are spooked a little bit about this final two talk that jeff talked about like what if there is a final two and and Parv- Parvati, of course, promises it's not a final two, you guys. No, no way. And <laughs> says, but yeah, but you're always wrong.
1: <laughs> it's it's really funny, too, because Parvati later on, again, you can say what you want to about her game. We talked about this during the trivia challenge. Parvati, up to this point, knows nothing about the history of Survivor. It shows when, you know, once Amanda wins this final immunity challenge, Parvati's going to be like... I don't even know what happens in a final two. Like like do are you the only one that can vote? Like that's very indicative of the fact that Parvati doesn't necessarily know how the Survivor Endgame works in a final two scenario. Yeah. She's like,
0: Woo, do we fight?
1: How's it gonna go? <laughs> Alright,
0: yeah, so we're getting to the final we're getting down here to the end and they decide to release the last chicken. They have one female chicken left named Gloria. She's been their mascot and so they don't want to eat her. They wanna be nice, so they let her loose and She's too stupid to run away. She just sits there and builds a nest in the sand, which is kind of a cute little character moment. And uh, yeah, they're all just basically they're all just sitting around waiting for the final three feast to happen. They're like, "When are we going to get fed? Like this isn't this isn't how the game's supposed to end. What's going on here?" And Parvati, of course, brags to us once again that we're the craftiest survivors of all time. This is the greatest season. Blah blah blah. All right, so here comes Tree Mail. This is where the the hammer is about to drop on our poor friend Siri. The tree mail comes, and it's nothing to do with food. It's You have a torch walk tomorrow. You're going to do the rites of passage, and then after that, your final immunity challenge. And the music goes dun-dun-dun. And
3: Amanda takes it very well. Yes, Amanda. (laughs) She collapses. (laughs) She does. Yeah, Amanda is medevaced because she's crying so hard at this point.
0: Yeah, so they're all bombed, and Amanda against crack, cracks again, tears, copious tears. She goes full Montana at this point.
1: And and, but uh, but Sari has a great, again, Sari taking it all in stride for now, even though she, I think she's slowly realizing, like, I have to win this challenge, or I'm going to rue the day that I let these two, this pair get as close to the end as they did because they're probably not going to take me. But she gives this fun confession of, like, again, going back to the blindside narrative, I guess it's, it's poetic, because we were blindsiding people the whole season, and now we are blindsided ourselves.
0: Yeah, it is a great quote, and Again, as a person who loves the final two, who I just, I've said it before, I just don't accept seasons that end in a final three because that's not over yet. Like, I love that they finally did a final two again. I just feel so horrible for Sari, who's come so close now twice to winning. She just gets absolutely blindsided by this one. Yeah. But again, on the record, I love final twos. Every I think every season should be a final two. There's so much more gripping.
1: And as as pain as it is to see Sari go here, and we'll get to the ruminating after the challenge from Amanda's perspective, but that to me is so much more gripping than like Survivor China, for example, where it's like, well, I guess we're going to get rid of Denise. You know, the, the, yeah. fi- the, the final four vote usually is, with a few exceptions, is pretty anticlimactic because it's just, you know, either three versus one or – Two versus two, they do a fire-making tiebreaker, and that's it. Here, you're really putting the onus on one person to really rack their brains of, who can I beat here? And it's really going to show on Amanda's face, much to her detriment, but it's so much more fascinating to me.
0: Yeah. And to me, it's just it's like it becomes an individual game when you have a final two. Someone has to step up and win that final challenge, and they have to have the balls to make the right choice. Like it's, it becomes individual. You can't just have three people ride it all the way to the end. If you get a final two, like somebody is going to have to step up at the end and make it all about them. That's what I like about it,
5: right? Which Amanda there, is
0: more than happy to do,
2: <laughs> right? Or, or there's intrigue as far as it goes. Like you get into a final three alliance, you're like, I'm in three, where we go, and 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 that's just how it is. Whereas with this one, like with the final immunity challenge, like. I mean, I know I'm sort of jumping the gun, but we're gonna we're gonna get to the immunity challenge, and it's like Parvati basically realizes sort of what Richard Hatch realized a little bit in season one. Not the same thing, but but sort of a different thing. Where Parvati basically like, well, if Suri goes to the final, she probably wins. So I'm just gonna bet that Amanda wins and takes me. You know what I mean? And it's fun when people make those realizations sort of at the at the end there. Yeah.
1: Well, speaking of yeah, Richard Hatch, again, I mean, if- go ahead.
0: I was just going to say the the parallel is perfect because a lot of people don't remember this, but the whole final immunity challenge is well, one of us is going to face poverty. We yeah. don't want to face each other, so we'll try to face the
1: goat. That was what I was about to say. Suri and her exit press said, "Oh, I definitely want to take in poverty." At that moment, poverty was the most beatable person in the final three, just because you know we saw a little bit of maybe she doesn't have the best interpersonal skills, or maybe she only does amongst a certain amount of people, but she definitely was the easy candidate to take at the time. So, like, the Richard Hass comparison is very apt. I don't know if she necessarily gamed it that way to say, like, oh, I don't need to do well in this challenge, but I think she definitely thought, oh, yeah, this final two twist, I'm guaranteed a spot in there, and as a result, I could definitely have a better chance of winning this money than I did in a final three.
0: Yeah. Nope, totally agree. All right, so we have to go to our little torch walk here, which, again, by historian's law, I have to point out, is not fallen comrades. It's called Rites of Passage. I know you guys all get sick of me saying that, but I, it, it drives me absolutely bonkers when I hear people call this fallen comrades. Alright, so our Torch Walk, the Rites of Passage, where they all go and they pay tribute to their fallen comrades. Oh, I, probably that, that, that may be a poor choice of words. They pay tribute to the players who are not left in the game. And uh, there's a great little editing joke here where they come to Mary's torch, the second torch, and the only thing they say about Mary is, Parvati says, didn't really know Mary. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone else they say something complimentary about, the only comment about Mary is,
1: I don't know her. (laughs) Uh, there's, There's some other fun little gems in here as well, like Joel saying that his survivor experience was essentially a failure. Overall, um, I (laughs) like I like Kathy saying I'd rather whip out eight more kids in 10 minutes than do this again. And and of course, Jason Siska's whole montage and final words are going to be about how he beat Ozzy in those two (laughs)
5: challenges.
1: (laughs) To this day,
0: Jason is still living off that. I beat Ozzy in two challenges.
3: What did Alexa say? Fast forwarded through that part.
5: She Um,
0: said, uh, I think she declared war on the state of Montana, if I recall. (laughs) She said, "You guys were all hillbillies and backwards hicks and something yeah, like that." No,
1: no trucker hats for the state of Montana. There's an embargo <laughs> on it. I like.
0: Also, like when they show Eliza's highlight. They show the uh, it's a fucking stick scene. Her and Jason are go over the stick because that's what you want to remember. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's, this is a fun one. Of all the Torch Walks I've seen, this is one of the more fun one. There's some really fun moments in here. And, again, I will point out that Parvati, Amanda, and Suri are mostly complimentary towards everyone. There's not a lot of jokes. They even say nice things about Eric. Again, the the merry one's the only one that stands out where they're not really complimentary. All right, so here we go to the final three immunity challenge. This is... Uh, where you hold the wooden cylinder and there's like a metal ball on it. And every five minutes you keep stacking wood on the sides to make it more and more unstable to see how steady you can keep it. Basically it's just an endurance challenge who can stand there in one place the longest and keep their concentration and not drop the ball on the ground, which, which I didn't really realize at the time is very similar to something Suri does in real life where this is basically a nurse holding surgical tools. And she talks about that later in her final words. She's like, I can't believe I lost the surgical challenge. Yeah, this is one one of those challenges. I'm watching. I'm like, this sucks. I wouldn't want to do this challenge. Just you're just standing there and you're holding your triceps or locked as hard as you can. Yeah, this one just sucks.
2: Yeah, but I like it, and I like, you know, that that's the other thing I like about um, final threes going into final twos and and things like that. Is that you know it's that tradition. I know it's tradition, and you know, I realize that Survivor has to change and things have to change, but I, I really like the. The poetry of the final three to the final two and having that challenge be something endurance or standing there for a long time or holding objects or something really painful like that, where it's like, do you do you want it? It's mind over matter at that point. You know, do you do you want to go to the end and win a million dollars?
0: Yeah, and I'd argue that has always been the basic premise of Survivor way back in the early days. They really harped on that, and they, they kind of went away from it, where they thought oh, about strategy and blindsides. But it's really not. It's about how much do you want to win this game? What will you do to make yourself get to the end? And that's really what this challenge does. It just You can see Amanda, she really wants to get there, and she ends up beating three. But yeah, it's, it's so much more primal to me when I watch one person have to outlast everybody else in an endurance challenge. It's so that's cool. A-
2: I mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention it again because we're getting on to the, the finale here in the reunion and stuff like that. Amanda, and you guys have already mentioned, Amanda, this is like, what, her 78th, 79th consecutive day playing Survivor? Yeah. And for those of you who, who don't know the timeline at home, we mentioned this before, I believe, in China, but I'm going to mention again here in Micronesia. Amanda played Survivor China, and then she played Survivor Micronesia. In Survivor Micronesia, the filming is going to end, like, in the first week of December – of the year in which they did it, and literally, like, a week or a week and a half later, the finale of China is going to air. So, so Amanda has basically played two seasons of Survivor, and they haven't been, quote-unquote, resolved, you know, because, like, they haven't read the final vote in, in China. So, like, she, she did it, but you know how that goes. Like, they do the final tribal council, and, you know, the, they're, they're not supposed to talk, but, like, usually Survivors sort of know, or maybe they don't know, but usually they have a generally good idea, like, who won the game. You know what I mean? So, like, that's sort of what I was thinking as she's trying so hard to get this game. Like, does Amanda know she lost China at this point?
0: I always thought that she thought she won China.
2: Right. I mean, that's what so I heard, my, but I'm not I'm sure. This is my question. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not trying to lord any knowledge, but I'm sitting here yeah. going, like, it seems to me like with the way she try so badly at the end, there's this inkling of maybe I didn't win China.
3: Yeah, I think she has to know that she, like, one, she's, there's, like, no other returning winners this season. She said post-game that after, like, she knew she didn't win China. I mean, that's is after the fact, because she always said that she thought she might have won Micronesia, but she knew she had lost China. So, I feel like she's got to know that she didn't, at least, she can't be certain that she won.
0: Right. Yeah, either way, she doesn't know. I mean, it's up right. in the air. Yeah, it's just, it's a tough situation she's in. It's... Again, I have a lot of sympathy. Now that a lot of time has passed and I'm not so annoyed that Amanda kept coming back. So, I mean, it's been several years since all that happened. We're, we're recording this well into the future after all these seasons aired that that I'm not so annoyed by Amanda I keep coming back. So now I have, I watch it from a more uh, detached perspective. And I, <laughs> I have a lot of sympathy for poor Amanda this season. She really is breaking down here. Okay, but yeah. Yeah, let's talk about this challenge. This is one where, you know, they're holding the balance beam and and Parvati is the first one to drop. Again, you think Sari would be bad at challenges because she's historically not good in challenges. But this is something she actually does every day as a nurse. They have to hold instruments. They have to hold things steady. And she says later, you know, if you move your hand with your scalpel or something inside a patient's body, someone gets hurt. So, like, they have very steady hands. So Parvati's out first and it's basically Amanda versus Sari for the right to choose who goes to the final two. And I was watching this challenge, and I'm thinking, kind of in the past, whenever you get down to the final two and at this last challenge, they usually cut a deal. Uh, how about one of us drop out, and I'll take you, blah blah blah. But there's no hint of a deal. Serena and Amanda never even mentioned. it. I don't know if it's just something they didn't show in the episodes. Maybe they did, and we never saw it. But it's it's very curious. There's not a hint of a deal until. And I know this goes again. We've talked. We just talked about this a couple of minutes ago. But this goes against everything the survivor narrative tries to push. But the truth is here that. Well, the reason they don't cut a deal is because they both know they can beat Parvati. Like, nobody wants to... They don't want to go against, go against each other. So, yeah, that's that's kind
1: of the, the issue here. Once I realized that, I'm like, oh, yeah, they both think it's a sure thing if they win this challenge. One thing I did notice, because they go, like, what, five rounds, five segments before Sari finally ends up dropping out. I did notice for the last couple, Amanda does subtly change her grip, where they've all been doing overhand, but she changes it to an underhand. And I'm no physicist i'm no i'm not athletically inclined whatsoever i have no idea what the difference to that may be but i feel like that is the way to go for some reason that would make you be able to hold things a lot easier than strictly but from an overhand perspective maybe it's maybe it's wrist yeah. strength i'm not entirely sure but i think amanda made the right choice here that ends up giving her the way well there. it's
3: it's funny how it parallels to what happened in china when she makes the move of flipping her bowl over yeah. you know midway through and she starts doing that like so many similarities between her end games yeah,
0: I don't, I don't know the physiology of it. I don't know if one is necessarily better than the other. All I do know is that if you switch your hands halfway through, all of a sudden different muscles are getting tired than the ones that we're getting before. That's very so maybe simple. it's just as simple as that. Yep, so Sari finally loses. She drops. She kills her patient. She accidentally cuts his gallbladder out somehow and she drops it and amanda wins immunity so amanda has i has immunity her way to the end here she has proven to be the most dominant player in the season and amanda will now dictate how it is going to end and there's a great quote when they go back to camp i may be jumping on your stepping on your feet here where where poverty says like wow during that challenge amanda was like in the zone she's a closer that one which is funny because amanda is maybe the least likely person i'd call a closer someone who successfully ends a survivor season but <laughs> She 's a closer, according to this logic she's a closer yeah no Smasher and a closer.
1: no coffee for her. she is not doing any sort of real estate deals anytime soon. The poverty thing that I wanted to point out is because I mean it's pretty clear from the get go that like we just talked about, is the pretty easy person to take to the finals at this point, so cerise's gonna be gone, but poverty, at least according to the edit does not make things easier for herself when she's talking you know about what would happen if Sari had won to Amanda? She's like, oh, yeah, Sari probably would have, ta- would have you know, taken me to the final two. And she says, well, it's not like she would have won. And you hear that prominent drumbeat to say, like, Parvati, you probably shouldn't have said that you would win against Sari because now you're looking like less and less of a goat.
0: Yeah. No, that's true. And Sari, of course, thinks she's toast. She's like, there's no way Amanda's going to take me to the final two. No way. Like... I've done most of the strategy. I was behind the whole Eric thing. I have a good relationship with everyone. Poverty is the mean girl. Like, There's no way she's going to take me. So Sari can see the writing on the wall. And of course, as we go through this whole episode, this is where Amanda, she knows she's been not doing this for most of the season. This was kind of a China trademark. But now she brings back the doe eyes, the big sad eyes for the whole rest of the season. I'm sure Paul was a fan of that.
3: Yeah, poor Amanda and her big doe eyes.
0: Oh, look, it even works on you. Whatever. So yeah, so Amanda is getting all doe-eyed and sad, and she whines and pouts, I have to make this tough decision, and I don't like it, and you guys are my friends. This is the stuff that people tend not to respect about Amanda, which I have no doubt she's being completely sincere This she really is sad, but this is this is not what people like to see from her, and this is not going to work well for her from here on out.
1: Yeah, I mean, we are about to see Amanda kind of fall apart at this final Tribal Council, but we definitely get the inklings of it at this Tribal Council where, as you said, Amanda is really emotional, and I think I think it's genuine. I know that people outside of the game said, like, we don't know if it's genuine or not. I really do think Amanda was very genuine about the fact that she made very close bonds with both Sari and Parvati. You know, you talk about the Amanda-Parvati pairing, but Amanda was with Sari... The entire game. Parvati got separated from Amanda during that switch part of the game, but Seri was with her the entire time, so she hates to cut her. But then you keep cutting over to the jury, where you have Alexis and Natalie and others just sort of, like, I don't know, giving looks, rolling their eyes, etc. And that's where you start to get the idea of, oh, maybe Amanda does not have this as much in the bag as you might think.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's especially prominent when you see Eliza. She, Eliza can't even look at Amanda. She has no respect for her whatsoever. She's like, every time Amanda gets all pouty and teary, Eliza just kind of rolls her eyes or scoffs or looks at somebody. It's like, you can just see right here, like, oh, yeah, like Mike said, Am- Amanda may not have this wrapped up. This might not be as slam dunk as you think it is. And, again, i got to point out, very little to do with poverty at this point. It's mostly the Amanda story. Is Amanda going to win? Is she a closer or is she not a closer? It's, How's this going to end up for her?
1: It's not in the bag. <laughs> Very good. That sounded way better. I'm improving.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah, I knew instantly you were from Billings. All right. So, yeah, so uh Amanda goes up to the ballot box. She's in tears. She, she just can't do it. I can't vote out a friend. And she finally does it. And with that, we bid you to who some would argue was the person who probably should have won the season. sari
1: And before we get, I'm sure we're going to get into the what happened if it was a final three thing. This, These final words from Sari are heartbreaking. And it's not just because we all love Suri, but you know, as you see her list her family members off, you can hear her get more and more choked up and then she eventually looks up to the camera with tears down her face and says, you know, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. And that is so sad as not only someone who's a big fan of the game, but also arguably one of the best strategists that has come to the game and one of the biggest survivor characters of the past couple years. It's it really is heartbreaking to watch. I would rather see a final two to have these heartbreaks happen, but it's still heartbreaking nonetheless.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Heartbreak makes great TV. I, I will not deny that whatsoever. And but it's funny, like it. Yeah, this one especially. You watch it, it, just seems very unfair to the point that like they had no idea final two was coming. Like, in fact, I have a friend named Cody Ross. I've mentioned him before. He will argue, you know, argue out his butt left and right that. Parvati did not win the season. Suri won the season. That if the producers hadn't changed the rules at the last minute and taken away that final three, she wins. So he he refuses to accept Parvati as the winner of the season. Which i I never go that far. I don't. If someone wins, they deserve it. Good job, you won. It's you, you did a great job. I would never say that Suri was the winner of the season. But man, did Suri have some bad luck coming down the stretch here.
1: All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna let the elephant in the room here because I talked about it at the end of the last podcast, it's one of the biggest what-ifs that's been talked about in Survivor history, and since it's been talked about to death, I don't know how much we need to dive into it, but let's put ourselves in the final three. Let's say their witches came true, Parvati, Alexis, and Parvati, Amanda, excuse me, sorry, Paul, and Sari are the final three of Survivor Micronesia. Who is winning this season?
0: Well, I mean, you'd have to go on a vote-by-vote basis. I don't know what all the jury thinks, but it does seem to me Sari is widely respected, and that's that's something that Amanda and Parvati don't seem to have, despite her reputation. Now, Parvati doesn't win this because she's the most respected, she wins this because people can't bear the idea of Amanda beating them in Survivor. So it's one of those things, like, I don't see a scenario where Sari loses that, but I also don't know what each individual juror was thinking. To me, it just comes down to respect, and I think Sari was light years more respected than the other two, but... If someone were to present a case juror by juror and prove that Suri actually might not win, you could be right. I'm not sure about that.
3: Well, I think one thing Ozzy says in, in a Ponderosa video, he tells who does he tell? He tells Eric that if it was like Eric, Natalie, and Suri in the end, he would have voted for Eric. So I don't know. I think Ozzy would go for Amanda no matter what. But it's just hard. It's hard with these, if you have those three returning players that, I mean, they each kind of have their people who are rooting for them, who respect them, who they're friends with. So I think I, I could see it going either way for Poverty or Suri.
1: Yeah, I think basically in terms of like sureties, I think Ozzy and James are definite Amanda votes. They always were, they always will be. I think Natalie is a guaranteed Poverty vote. I think Jason might be a guaranteed Poverty vote as well, considering that he spent the most time with her, uh, even though she might have made fun of him behind his back. I think Eliza votes Suri. Eric and Alexis is where it gets complicated. Eric has notably said that he voted for Amanda because he wanted to see what would happen if a tie would happen. I don't know if that's true or not, considering that he also had a close relationship with Amanda. Alexis tells Sari when she goes to Ponderosa, I I wish you could have won. That could have just been her talking out of her ass. I'm not entirely sure. So I think it could easily be either Sari or Parvati. I'm leaning towards Sari at the moment.
0: Yeah. And keep in mind, Suri voted for poverty, so you take Suri off the jury. That's one less poverty vote. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, you you could spend endless hours. People who study this stuff and watch insider clips and read all the interviews more than we do would probably have a better uh, opinion on this, more educated opinion. Anyway, it's my gut just says Suri wins, but again, it's not certain. I don't know, Jay. What do you think? We haven't heard from you yet. You
2: haven't. But I think that's the problem. That's the problem ultimately with analyzing Survivor too much, to tell you the truth. And I know that, you know, uh, I talk a little, I've talked, you know, especially, you know, as these seasons have gone on, I talked a little bit more about some of the strategy elements, I guess, of this game. But it's tough. Ultimately, and I think that that's where we run into a lot of problems with Survivor. That being said, it certainly doesn't stop all of us from podcasting about it or writing articles about it. And I I think that's what's fun about Survivor is that we can do that. But I think that, you know, we need to always remember whether you're doing edgic or whether you're, you know, listening to podcasts about strategy and analysis and, you know, things like that. We don't know because we just see what is on TV and what's on tv may not actually be what's actually happening out there and i've said this before on the podcast but i'm going to say it a million times again we don't know what was going on out there and also you know the jurors the the opinion that they have at the time that they vote uh you know right as as the, on the 39th day of of filming this this season uh, of survivor is different like you know sometimes at the reunion you know jeff will do those impromptu polls like hey, what if this person's in the finals? How would you vote? And people raise their hands and it's like, they're removed from the game at that point. and And they've they've seen episodes on television, they've seen fan reactions to them, and, and and people's votes can get swayed. Or they've just talked to people for 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 a couple months. Like, you know, maybe they don't take the fans or, or how they're being portrayed on television in, into uh, consideration. But maybe just talking to someone for those months. Because, yeah, maybe you can't talk about the game or something like that, but you can probably talk to other survivors during that time, and maybe you get to know somebody and you're like, no, I'd vote for you now. And it's like, that's too late. You're not in that sort of... Uh, zone to vote so so i don't know i mean the gut, like you said mario the gut always is and, and everyone's uh, uh opinion and, and certainly mine was that if this is a final three Suri wins but but i don't know how do the votes break down you you don't ultimately know i do know that seri getting in there makes this a more compelling uh vote in some way um and and it might have been a really interesting final three vote and i know that i'm i'm a proponent of final two over final three and i'm i'm all right with how this happened but with this with sari in there and with these guaranteed poverty slash amanda votes might have been the closest we'd get to some sort of tie honestly
0: yeah i mean it was almost a tie as it was (laughs) could have been four four very easily well no yeah it could have been four four
2: yeah i guess it would be weird because it was it would have been eight on the jury at that point or seven on the jury seven
0: yeah Yeah, it's just interesting. Just I do feel, just as someone who likes the history of the show, I feel we were robbed not seeing Suri give a final two speech or a final jury speech. Mm -hmm. I would love to see her speech, just because I think she's so much a better speaker than Parvati or Amanda is. I I would just love to see her work her magic there in front of a jury. So, just from someone who appreciates history, I feel I would have liked to see that.
1: And that's a great segue into this final tribal council, which, again, for a finale that's a little underwhelming, the final tribal council is a little underwhelming as well. I mean, Amanda's gonna tank pretty well and I think Parvati does a pretty good job of talking up at least some of the strengths of her game but it's not a dynamite performance and it pales in comparison to what we saw Todd do last season which was really pull off one of the best final tribal council performances ever so it's it's a tough way to cap off the season I'll say that again
0: yeah I mean it's it's like that's a fantastic parallel because you know Parvati, for years has been oh the greatest player of all time. She's fantastic, but like back to back next to Todd, like Todd just blows her away and he's been these But again, I guess different jurors, different dynamics and all that. But it's like yeah, I mean Parvati is a fine speaker, but this is really more Amanda loses than Parvati wins.
2: Yeah, and it's tough because <laughs> this this sort of anti proves a point that I make in a lot of ways in in the sense that. I always get really upset when people try to, and, and it's it's the whole thing about, again, it's tough for us to analyze Survivor because A, we don't know, and B, the game is not the same every season. Yep, It's essentially the same in the sense that you vote people out until you get a winner, but it's not the same it's never going to be the same because the people are different. The dynamics are different. You know, everything is 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 different. And so it's tough when, you know, we get this rank the winners. This person is a better winner than this person or this person played a better game than this person. It's like, maybe. But what we're trying to do at that point is, is place objective criteria on how to play the game of Survivor when the game is so subjective and so different from season to season that we're literally just, you know, exercising uh, a lot of nothing in a lot of ways. However, that being said, Amanda is going to deliver a very similar Tribal Council performance to what she did in Survivor China, and as you can see, didn't win either time.
0: Yep.
3: But, I mean, it. I we do harp on it a lot, but I think if you compare the two, th- this one is a huge step up from China. I mean, it's not great by any means, but she is, mu- I mean, she is so mopey in China, and she's just, uh, uh, the whole time. I mean, this one's not great, but it is It is a huge step up from China. Uh,
1: yeah. that I don't said, think it,
3: she's absolutely horrible.
1: I don't know. It's, it's like saying she moved from kindergarten to first grade while everyone else is in middle Which school. Which is
3: a big jump de- developmentally, Mike Bloom. When's the last time? Uh, you taught those two grades
1: that's true i i I guess i should uh i should take credit from the kindergarten teacher himself that does make sense i i think there's gonna be one moment in particular that amanda i'm gonna with amanda i'm gonna take fault with but i mean i think she just had a very tough last couple days that really exuded a certain reputation to the jurors as someone who was wishy-washy and emotional so walking into that final tribal council I think she had it a lot tougher than she had to from the get-go, but she's not going to necessarily make it that much better for herself. She's going to get – she had two votes going in, as I said, that she's not going to lose. It seems like if we're to believe Eric, he wanted to just have chaos happen and see what would happen in the case of a tie. So that's why he votes for her. But otherwise, Parvati, whether it's anti-Amanda or pro-Parvati, gets the rest of the votes here.
0: Yeah, the one thing I have in my notes here is, I was watching this final Tribal Council today, is just, you watch the, the body language of the jury, they want nothing to do with this final two. Like, they're like, this is clearly not the best of the best in their opinions. They're like, oh my god, I can't believe we have to choose between these two. And it really comes off when you listen to their questions. So you're yeah. telling me that this is the
2: second season of Survivor in which at least half the cast is returning... And we get to a final two where the jury is not pleased that either of the people are standing there. Yeah, it's funny how that works. I don't buy it
5: for one <laughs> second.
2: I don't believe you. And we're not even including Stephanie in Guatemala, are we? <laughs> no, no. I, I said more, more than half the cast. All right. I, okay. I mean, yeah. well, I am a person and I am a force of nature, but I am not half the cast of Survivor Guatemala.
1: Well, and according to <laughs> oh Stephanie, though, she would, she would kick that force of nature off the jury, though. Let's remember. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, so let's get to the jury questions. We'll start with Eliza here, who comes up and basically says, Parvati, you do me, you you talk about people behind their back, you unnecessarily, you lie to people, you're horrible. Maybe you're just a mean person. Maybe that's all you are. And then, then she goes, and Amanda, listening to you makes me want to kill myself.
1: Yeah, I thought, Amanda, way, Amanda, very- Amanda probably thought like, okay, she's bagging on poverty pretty hard maybe i have her vote and then but eliza says listening to you talk literally makes me want to kill myself sometimes and she's like "Ooh!" Uh, and I, I don't know if you guys realize this but eliza eliza's vote is up in the air i know again real subtle the way she comes across but she's really undecided
0: yeah clearly not a fan of parvati clearly not a fan of amanda and apparently there was a lot more to her jury question that was not shown on tv i'm sure someone knows about this better than i do Oh, please tell me someone knows this. Paul.
3: Go to the temp. He knows
0: everything. (laughs) I do not know this one, Paul. There was something where I don't know the specifics where where Eliza says, like, you guys are just typical airhead girls. You don't know anything about current events or anything. And she's like, ask them to name at least two U.S. senators or something like that or some government representative. And they can't do it. They don't know anything. And they, they, yeah, that's one I kind of those that was I cut the
3: remember this but I never heard the story really fully on this
0: oh crap we're the historians we can't be telling people to go look it up someone should know this all right, anyway, anyway, since we clearly didn't do our homework on this, no, go Google Eliza's Micronesia Final Two speech, and it's something about politics and current events, and she asked him, like, name someone in the news. Name some two people in the news, and, like, they can't do it, and Eliza just is, is horrified that these girls are just so out of touch with what's going on in the world.
1: Let's be fair, I, one I, of the ones Amanda's that's... from Montana, though. Who's in the Montana news?
0: <laughs> I've already made enough Unabomber <laughs> jokes this decade. I can't say that anymore. Amanda's in the news pretty much yeah i don't know but that but this was something that was clearly cut out of the episode because the producers did not want to make their final two uh players look that bad but yeah apparently it was a very it was a very embarrassing moment that eliza asked them to name two people in the in current events in politics and they couldn't do it so anyway uh, i'm sorry we can't give you the specifics just go google it it's it's a very fascinating reading and it it just shows how little respect eliza had for either of these two finalists
1: okay and then we have uh i think jason Sisko is he next In his weird little disco purple button-down shirt. (laughs) Yes. He was headed out to a a discotheque right after this. I danced
0: five minutes more than Ozzy did. I'm awesome. (laughs) All right, so Jason gets up there and does whatever stuff Jason does. No one cares. And then Alexis comes up, and Alexis says, you know... One of the things that everyone should know about me is I love working with young girls. I like role models, and this is actually true. She does a lot of nonprofit stuff, a lot of self-esteem and other uh, different charities for girls. So she's she puts her money where her mouth is despite how much Paul hates her. She is a, a oh, good person. Oh, she's
3: just lovely. She's just so great, and she just wants to make sure she's giving her money to the greatest people. And isn't Alexis just wonderful? Love her. Bring her back.
0: So anyway <laughs> – yeah, so Alexis says, you know, Parvati, how are you a role model for young girls? Which is an interesting question. And then, uh, and then Alexis then goes on to mock Amanda's crying for being fake. You're just doing it for sympathy. You're doing it for the cameras, and and that other, you see other jurors nodding that they seem to agree. That seems to be the consensus that Amanda gets up there and just starts weeping and trying to get sympathy. Where Amanda very vehemently denies. I don't do that for sympathy. I don't even realize I'm probably – she probably doesn't even realize she's making that sad face. But that seems to be the perception, and this is going to work against her down the road here. And then we come to Natalie.
1: <laughs> I'll let you take this one, Temp. Oh, boy. Uh, so to just sort of jump through a couple of her statements before we get to the question, she says, you know, you have my respect tonight, woman to woman. Parvati, you've labeled yourself as a flirt. You're the most masterful person in the history of Survivor to play the flirt card. My question to you is, how does that resonate for you in the bedroom? And the look on Jeff Probst's face. You know, we talked up uh, his his double take during the Billy Love Admitted during Survivor Cook Islands. But this might be up there as well, where Jeff is just has no idea how to react. Uh, James is says, James says I'm confused. The jury's bust up in hysterics. Jeff has to actually calm down the jury to say what Natalie what w- what what the hell are you talking about? <laughs>
3: and what I love too is that like Parvati and her answer just shows off like how good at Parvati is at buttering people up because Parvati doesn't really even know how to answer her question, but she just kind of starts like BSing and just goes, you're sexy. And then I was like, thank you. Like she like really like, you know, digs what she hears. So (laughs) yeah, Parvati admits
0: I flirt with guys. I even flirted with you because you're sexy. So she's
3: like, thank you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know it's like, we came this close to the first girl-on-girl action during a final tribal council. It was pretty impressive.
1: The, the problem, though, is that, again, one of the things that we do on Historians is we sort of decry this narrative that, like, Parvati, the femme fatale, she flirts to get ahead, because that really, as much as we might be decrying some of Parvati's game on this podcast, that is not Parvati. This is not helping. To have, se- yeah. I'm not a flirt, oh, let's have someone come forward and say, oh, you're such a flirt, how, how does your strategy take place in your sex life? Like, that is not helping your case there for being a well-rounded player.
0: I do have to say, in Parvati's defense, I think she handles this question about as well as you can handle it. She just goes with it. She's like, "All right, I'm a flirt. That's what I do." You're sexy, by the way. Like, I have to think it's she's just kind of being funny there, and I, I will give her credit. I think she she answers that question as well as it possibly could have been answered.
2: Yeah, I, I think it's more that Mike than than anything else. I think it's yeah, okay. She's not helping in the sense that she's like, yeah, saying, yeah, I'm a flirt. But I think it's she's more like, yeah, Natalie, do you, do you want me to say that? Is that a thing? Okay.
1: Yeah, and it's also the case where, again, as much as James and Ozzy were firmly in Amanda's camp going into the vote, Natalie was very firmly in Parvati's camp. And Natalie, I think, said in her exit press, like, oh, yeah, I just wanted to, like, rile Parvati up. I knew I was going to vote for her, but I just wanted to, like, make her squirm a little bit, see how she dealt with a question impromptu. So good on Parvati for handling it the way she did. And I think that's indicative of the fact that, again, Parvati is not going to be... Outstanding here, but she's doing pretty well. I mean, we glance over a couple uh, before, but you know, with Alexa's question of like, what makes you a good role model, she says, you know, I'm more outspoken and independent than Amanda, which again is a weird question to begin with. But she's handling these things pretty well overall.
0: Yeah, and she's not breaking down in tears and being all weepy. She's not doing a lil. In her defense, she's just like, you know what, I'm up here. I got here. I did some good moves. I thought I did great. And that, that's, that jumps out when you compare that to Amanda, who just does not take credit for things she's done. Yeah, although we, I will, people often forget there's a second part to Natalie's question where <laughs> I hold this part de- near and dear to my heart, where then she asked what Amanda's strategy was. Every time I looked over at you, you had a glazed over look on your face. So was that your strategy to play the zombified pretty girl pageant queen persona? And I had endless fun with that on the Funny One Hundred and Fifty. And the Amanda is a zombie because that comes from Natalie. Natalie is the one who first started that. I mean, I'm amazed Paul has nothing to add about that.
2: Uh, please <laughs> visit the Funny One Hundred and Fifteen dot com.
0: Yeah, but again, I have to point out I didn't start that. I'm just going off what Natalie started. Natalie. What's- Natalie introduced that whole persona zombie, the zombie Amanda thing, which is – you clearly see the level of respect for these jurors have for this Right, world.
3: but I, I think this is an example of how Amanda handles herself better in this trap council than China because she says, no, I'm neither of those things. And like there are like little, little bits of her that are way more confident and aggressive than she was in China.
0: Yeah. To be fair, I agree with you. She does stick up for herself on that question, and I think she's actually quite shocked to hear that people have that opinion of her. Like, she doesn't know that people think she's weepy all the time. She doesn't know that people think she's a brainless pageant girl, because that's not how she sees herself at all. So I do feel a little, on a personal level, a little bad when Amanda hears this, because you can tell she has no clue that people think of her like this.
1: Well, don't worry, Amanda. You're going to get a sure follow-up to this person tearing you apart with the person that you tore apart about three days ago. Oh, yeah, Eric. Yeah, this this is, uh, Eric's going to end up again voting for Amanda. His reasons are uncertain, but, you know, he's saying, like,
4: You know, I consider you a big sister or a cousin. Right now, I'm looking at you with a lot of questions. You threw me under the bus, and you ripped me apart. What basis do you have to judge me?
1: And Amanda tries to apologize, but Eric's like,
4: Nope, you you told me that beforehand. Enough is enough.
1: And that's it. Again, it's surprising looking back that Eric does end up voting for her, and when he votes for her, he does say, you know, I'm willing to forgive and forget, but... Yeah, he goes in very hard on Amanda here. And again, this just shows how close of a relationship they were and how it betrayed he felt in the fact that she was able to take advantage of their relationship to further herself in the game.
4: You better not show up on Free Scoop Day, you bitch. <laughs> if I see you in Pinckney, Michigan, oh golly.
0: <laughs> oh, he busts out the oh golly. Yeah, so there's Eric's speech, and now we have James comes out where James flat out says, Amanda knows she has it in the bag, which seems to be the perception that Amanda's going to run away with this thing. And then he points out, "Poverty, you fluffed me, which is probably not the ideal way to phrase that thing. And I'll let you guys raising. Google that. Yeah, I'll let you guys Google that if you'd like. I'm not going go to go any more into that. Yeah,
1: it's right good. next to Eliza's political speech. Google fluffing right afterwards. <laughs> All right.
0: And then then we have Siri. Okay, Suri. This is actually an interesting question when Suri comes up. This is maybe the one insightful question where where uh, Suri says, "Tell me, Amanda, why does poverty deserve this more than I do?" And Amanda does a really tactical mistake here, where she says, "Well, it's because poverty was better than you." Which I believe the correct answer is there. Parvati doesn't deserve this more than you. You would have beaten me if you were up here, and I don't think she will. You have to say something like that. But Amanda goes exactly the opposite Well, because Parvati was better than you. And Ceri seems to take offense to that. Like, she's better than me? So it's just that's just one little example of how Amanda maybe
3: falters a little here. At the yeah, end. I stuck up for her before. I'm keeping my mouth shut yeah, on this one. This is
1: uh, she's also building up her final two opponent by saying like, oh yeah, I picked Parvati because she played a much more bolder game. She played, she really yeah. made a lot of big moves in the game. You should not be saying that about the person sitting next to you. That that's the number one thing you do not want to do in a final tribal council.
0: Yeah, and I would make the argument that I think Parvati wins the game right here. Parvati has a fantastic answer to Siri. And I will give credit where credit is due. This is a great answer. This is maybe not Todd level, but this is a great answer where, where uh, I think, uh, Sari, I figured her actual question to Parvati is why are you sitting there instead of me? Why do you deserve it more than I do or something like that? And Parvati says, I can't compete with you, Sari. You're a mother of three. You have a family. You have kids. I don't have that. I couldn't have beaten you. Which is a fantastic answer where you build up Ciri, you build up her pride, you were a great threat, you were a juror, you need this more than I do, like, you deserve it more than I do. I couldn't have that, so you had to be out of the picture. It's just a, a really well-done answer, and I will say, where I give credit, where credit is due. I think Parvati gets Ciri's vote right there, I think Amanda loses it, and I think that is where Parvati wins this game.
2: You could be right. You could be right on that. I mean, it was it, it's bad. And and this this is where knowing past survivor comes into play, you know. But but at the same time, again, we make generalizations. But it's it's about knowing what this particular jury wants to hear, right? But that being said, I think it's I think it's true in the sense that you know you probably shouldn't ever talk up your final two opponent, um, you know. And and if you want to do anything, I always feel like probably the best tactic is to just talk about yourself. So much, you know what I mean? Like. You know why is poverty here? And you should be like, well, poverty is there for a game. But you know, you know, you can then say, yeah, James, maybe you could be up here or blah blah blah. But like, yeah, I, I think that you know there are definite do's and don'ts in final tribal councils. And unfortunately, I think that in both China and Micronesia, you could look at a lot of Amanda's answers and go, that's a don't, kids. Do not answer a question like that.
0: Yeah. I would argue I mean I don't there's no way to know if this is true. I think this is one of the rare tribal councils, maybe this and Marquesas in the first sixteen seasons, where the answers actually sway some of the jurors to change their to change the way the outcome was going to go.
1: You could say Survivor Samoa as well, if we're to believe that most of Galoo was voting for Mick until Natalie defended herself.
0: It could be, but now you're spoiling Samoa, Mike.
1: I <laughs> I apologize.
0: Yeah, we're gonna get some listener questions where people are mad that we spoil future seasons, so
2: Oh my I, gosh.
0: We have to be careful on that. <laughs> All right, so now we get and this is this will be Jay Jay's favorite part of the podcast. We get to Ozzy's final question.
4: Oh, oh god.
0: My God. <laughs> I think only the uh dulcet tones oh, of Jay Fisher so can do this sweet. one justice.
2: Okay, here we go. You ready? you ready you ready for the Ozzy final question or final final jury speech? Okay. Um I think I might be the, true, the biggest idiot up here. Uh, I am truly, from the bottom of my heart, hurt by what you did to me. It was a great move, it really was, but I never in a million years thought that you could do that to me. Put a price in our friendship. threw us away. Garbage. You basically said, you know what? You're not worth this much money. You know, it really does hurt. How can you say that you're a role model when you're willing to discard a valuable friendship like that? A human being. But I don't want any words, words. I don't want to talk to you. Honestly, the hardest party part for me is that you took away 14 days that I could have spent with Amanda. and at this point he's, you know, he does that thing where he like, you know, slaps himself and slumps over. Amanda, when I told you on the beach at one point when you asked me if I was playing if you, if I was, if you were playing me or not, I told you honestly that I'm not faking it. I'm not faking your feelings for you or anything. I'm really having feelings that I've never felt before. And I never—I honestly feel like, like I started to fall in love with you. I, I don't know. You're an amazing girl, and I really want everyone to know that. I'm so glad I didn't win Cook Island, so I could be here and have met you. That's it.
0: Uh. for romance, basically.
5: <laughs> what guy?
1: Uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, come on. He slaps himself, each on one cheek, and slumps over. I know, Mario, you had a field day with Ozzy's acting moments in Survivor South Pacific, but this might be his crowning achievement. R- ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, uttering both his disdain for poverty and then taking a breath and then saying, well, by the way, Amanda, I'm in love with you. I fell head over heels in love with you. Yeah.
2: Mike. You think that Mike. would be
1: the thesis? You start with the thesis.
2: <laughs> but, but, but here's what I can say in the sad things you can tell mike you can tell that ozzy has taken an acting class yes by just the the way this speech is like laid out because it's almost like the way monologues for for certain things go but it's not it's not good like it's it's he's thought about it and he knows the beats and it's not quite right but you could see like the rise and the fall there like you know that he's taken an acting class and he's had to kind of you know Grip with some of these things before.
1: Now I really wish I could go into an audition and be like, I will be doing Ozzy's monologue from Survivor: Micronesia. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was just thinking that I've got an audition coming up, and I'm like, man, do I need to make a change?
1: I mean, there's two <laughs> definitive people that you're talking to. Very strong tactics. A very nice beat change. I think it actually could work as a monologue.
2: It could. It could. I mean, here's the thing: you got it. You got to. You got to cut some of the fat out because you know he. You could tell he doesn't ad lib well with the. You know, and that's it. Or I'm just. I can't, but like, you know, the, 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 the beat change and then, you know, the whole, I, I never honestly started to fall in love with you. Like he turns right at the end. Like, like he knows what he's supposed to do. Like with the monologue, it's, it's fantastic.
1: No, he was starting off hot with the poverty stuff, you know, with like, how can you say you're a role model? You're willing to discard a friendship yeah, 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 like yeah. that? A human yeah, being, yeah. like he was rehearsing that. But then once, I, once I, he fell in love with those doe zombie eyes and he's like, I, I, I don't know what to say now. I'm, I'm falling in love with you.
0: I think Ozzy would be a riot doing coffee house poetry, like beat poetry. He'd be awesome.
1: Woman! <laughs> Woman! Skateboard! Skateboard! <laughs> Climb a tree! Grab a coconut! Skateboard on the moon! <laughs>
0: And we all know, of course, this was the beginning of the beautiful romance between Ozzy and Amanda, which still continues to this day.
3: (laughs) Right. Amanda had a baby recently. I think it's Ozzy's.
0: (laughs) You can talk to it was on a skateboard. Right. (laughs) Uh, It's funny. I I don't even remember this speech until I watched it today. I know we were exchanging emails as we were watching these episodes, and Jay's like, oh, my God, Ozzy's speech. And I didn't even remember it. So this is just like a a, – late christmas gift as i unwrapped it today like, oh my god he he monologued again i love well, when he monologues
3: well, the cherry on top of it too is when he goes to cast his vote for amanda and ha- you know how like you really buy his love for amanda when he votes for her and, and ends the confession with uh, and uh love ya <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: <laughs> that's really the way felt he it. that's crazy to say like <laughs> That's the first time he said "I love you" to Amanda was, and it wasn't even to her; it was to a camera voting for her for a million
3: dollars. And it wasn't a full oh. "you"; it was more of a "ya." Yeah.
0: <laughs> it was like the the best of Shakespearean sonnets. Yeah. All right. So they've all cast their votes between two of the. M- the most dreaded, feared competitors in Survivor history. It's basically, and they come down to which one do they do they respect the most out of two people they don't respect. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to get to the reveal. And uh, we go, you know, Jeff does his thing where they all walk off the set, and Jeff goes to the live tribal council. And, and again, this is, this is was this the first time there was an even number of jurors in Survivor history?
5: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Where they very easily could have had a tie. Although, you could have a tie with the final three anytime, I guess, as well. But yeah, it just seems very poorly thought out to have an eight-person jury with two players that most people don't really respect. And we really come very close to a tie, and we'll talk about that in a second. But at the end of the day, Parvati gets five votes, and Amanda gets three. And with that, Parvati Shallow becomes the single greatest player in Survivor history.
1: Though, what I will say is that I firmly think, much like Sandra Diaz-Twine, I think the Parvati reputation that you're talking about, Mario, really gets hammered home in Heroes versus Villains. From what I remember, and again, I may be incorrect here, I think people thought highly of Parvati, definitely a lot higher of her than her performance at Cook Islands initially, but I don't think people were saying she's an elite player. I feel like it's once she comes back for Heroes versus Villains and makes it far again and continues to make really big, bombastic moves that she's in the conversation. For now, I think we just talked about it. People were like, I think the major thing that people were taking away from the finale was Ceri should have won. And the the second yeah. thing they thought of was, wow, Amanda made it there twice and lost. I think Parvati winning was almost an afterthought at the time after this finale came out.
0: Yep, I would totally agree with you. I would say that really the end of Micronesia is well, Amber won again. That's how I would look at it.
3: Well, but I mean, I do agree with that. That it is, Parvati's ability to do what she does in heroes versus villains that cements her, you know, in top five of of most people's list of of you know these amazing survivor players. Going into Heroes vs. Villains, she's on the top of the list of, like, the scariest players. Like, I mean, no one thought Parvati could make it out of those first few episodes. So, I mean, it definitely she reaches her level with Heroes vs. Villains. But there is something about uh, the fact that she kind of ends up taking on, I I think maybe in the moment, people were like, oh, Seri should have won. But she kind of takes... Kind of this body of work that these women were able to do all together, and she kind of carries it forward that she was the greatest player, and she took she takes you know all the glory from from the women on on cyber Micronesia and moves on with it
0: yeah she was the one stirring the pot she's the one that probes will always feature when they talk about the black widow brigade, so yeah it's she her reputation will start to grow and grow over the years as she basically. All the all the work that all the the women were doing together to team up on people, poverty starts to get unilateral credit for all of it. Is what will happen? Yeah,
2: it's good PR. Like when she wins, the initial reaction afterwards is like what or huh or or more of the sere thing. But it, it, the afterwards the spin goes poverty's direction. I think Paul's right. It's it doesn't you know it builds in heroes versus villains, but. She was she was da- noted as dangerous going into Heroes vs Villains. So between sixteen and twenty, the legend of poverty does grow.
1: What I will say yeah. about poverty, I know obviously throughout this, throughout the entirety of our Micronesia podcast, I think we made an effort to say that poverty had an inordinate amount of lucky breaks in this game. Uh, between you know fair play quitting, the tribe shuffling out as they did, Kathy leaving, Jonathan Penner leaving, James getting medevaced, and also, to finally finish things out, you know, this final three to final two, final twist in the game, you know, it, we could, if things shook out differently and Suri ended up winning, you could say, you know, it was Parvati a good player because she purposely went to the end that, with people that could beat her. But the the thing that at least I'd like to talk her up with is making these relationships. And granted, they weren't all great. Eliza outlined that in her speech very clearly. But, I mean, she outlines it in the reunion that... You know, she was able to bring together different coalitions and make sure she was at the center of them so that she never felt like she was an extra number to anybody. You know, she was always included in the inner circle of any sort of amalgam of allies. And I think that that could be very tough to do on Survivor. She was one of the people to really bridge fans and favorites together. So I have to give her a lot of credit there. Granted, some of the biggest. Black Widow Brigade moves might have been at Cerise orders, not necessarily Parvati's, as much as the previously on Survivor might tell us differently. But I think in Survivor Micronesia, she did a good job, especially from that relationship management perspective. It wasn't all great, but at the end of the day, she managed who she needed to, she needed to do what she had to do, and she made a pretty good performance at the end, especially compared to Amanda, that got her a win.
0: Yeah, the one thing that I like to say with Micronesia is when it first aired, I always kind of viewed it as like Marquesas, uh, uh, Pearl Island, stuff like that. which You have these crazy—Amazon's another good example—crazy, unpredictable season, things happen, there's shifts in power, and at the end you end up with a what-the-fuck winner who you wouldn't have seen coming. And those are some of my favorite seasons. Like I loved how Sandra won, I loved Vesepia, Jenna Marasca. And then poverty, I look as somewhat in the same way. It's just a crazy season where all sorts of crazy blindside shifts happen, and then the person who just was left standing, who emerges from the dust, was the winner. And I'm perfectly fine with that. If if, Marques, if if Micronesia had gone down in history as a season like that, I'm perfectly fine with that because I think seasons like that are fun. I think the crazier the winner, the crazier the season was. That's kind of the way it works. But in what happens in history is they start – talking about this season like she's basically Boston Rob, like she dominated it from minute one to the end, and that's the way it gets retroactively uh, remembered in history, and that's really not correct when you watch it. So that's always been the the, the uh, dissonance in my mind when it comes to Micronesia, is that what people think it was isn't actually what it was, and I think it's fine. I think it's a fun season for what it is. It's just it's odd that it gets remembered as it basically being Redemption Island where one person just steamrolls everyone. Yes?
1: Paul, do you yeah. want to... Paul, do you want to, uh, you, I mean, we're, we're at, we just hit peak Amanda. She's been on, as we said, 78 days of Survivor in a row. Do you want to talk a little bit about Amanda in Micronesia? Because we're, we're going to see her in brief in Survivor Heroes versus Villains, but I feel like this is probably the best game that Amanda has played out of her three seasons now.
3: Yeah, I think in Amanda, I mean the moment it peaks is when she gets out of Lexus. Like that is the peak Amanda moment and everything from here on out is kinda be gonna be downhill and there's really not much time for the fans to really digest Amanda and appreciate her and people like Mario who get very sick of her. It happens because she comes back so quickly. So the, I mean, the fact that you go for a stretch of seasons, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, in the span of six seasons, Amanda and James are on, on half of those seasons. So, I mean, Amanda is just really thrown into our systems and out very quickly, like a bad Mexican meal or something. I don't know. But it's it's really hard to to talk about her legacy in terms of the rest of Survivor because it happened so quickly. There's not time to really reflect on it. But I think what you said, Mike, is absolutely true that this is by far her best season. It's the closest she comes to winning. Um, And uh, I think the season even won Mario over a little bit. So I don't know how long that'll last by by the time we get to Heroes versus Villains. But uh, this is definitely her best showing. It's permanent
0: now. I totally see her as a tragic figure. So once I get to that point, I have a hard time really faulting a player anymore. Although I do think we should talk about this final vote and how close it actually was. This is one of those things I don't know if people know all the history behind that. It's a five to three vote. And I will point out that Paul will love this, that we always joke on here that, you know, Eliza was responsible for everything. You blame her for bad things. That Eliza and Alexis both, both voted for poverty. So you can blame Eliza and Alexis for... Poverty being considered the greatest player of all time. Had they switched their other, their votes, Amanda wins the season. In fact, I will point out that Eli- – uh, 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 what's her face? Uh, Eliza has, has mentioned in interviews. She came very, very close to voting Amanda. She wanted to make it 4-4 because they kind of knew what the votes were going to be. And she was very curious about it being a tie, but she was just wasn't sure she wanted to do that. So she voted for poverty kind of at the last minute just to avoid a yeah. tie. Oh, but really? it really could have gone the other way.
1: That's surprising, though. It seems like it seems like Eliza just bops into that voting booth, writes the name down, and bops out really quick, right? She really does not (laughs) languish there.
0: Yeah, total poverty fan. Absolutely, she loved it. Yeah, she sprinted up
3: there, wrote down poverty, and sprinted back.
0: Yeah. So here are the five poverty votes. Natalie voted for poverty, and Cerie voted for poverty. And we talked about those two, where Natalie was kind of a sure thing for poverty, and I think poverty won Cerie's vote because Amanda just blew it. And then you have the other three. Jason Siska voted for poverty, and if you have one of only two
3: men to ever vote for poverty to win a season,
0: wow, that's a very interesting trivia. I didn't know that.
3: Jason and and Coach. (laughs) Jason and Coach. Those those are the two you want on your side. (laughs) Two gods. Yeah. so and then
0: the other two are alexis boo and eliza boo voted for poverty so yeah so amanda
5: that
3: never had a damn chance with alexis by the way that she voted her out and stuff no way yeah, in hell. yeah.
1: considering that how yeah. much alexis rolled her eyes at the uh amanda and poverty votes against her it was clear and especially we, we talked about it throughout the course of this podcast all the all the reaction shots of amanda over the next couple of episodes are always alexis just kind of like shaking her head at her or joking around with the jury so i think it's clear that from the moment amanda voted out alexis she was not going to vote for her to win yeah
0: and the three amanda votes came from eric ozzy and james so the guys seemed all like amanda and then jason went with the girls and i voted for parvati and again, if Eliza had just at the last minute switched her vote back to Amanda, it's a 4-4 tie, and who knows what happens then. Well, that's interesting, So this Actually, was a very, very close point. If
1: you think about it, Eliza obviously wasn't there, but if we're going back to the Aussie vote, everyone who voted with Aussie voted for Amanda, and everyone who voted with Sari voted for Parvati. Good, that's good work, Tam. That's good point. Good job, Tam, yep. So... That is
0: the end of Survivor Micronesia, although we go to the reunion show where the first thing that Jeff says at the reunion show is, word on the street is this is the best season we've ever had, and that is something he has continued to mention, and people on the street have still mentioned that to him to this day.
1: I mean, we cannot overstate how much of a highly regarded season this was, and we've said it a bunch that this really was the precursor to a lot of what the the show is going to look for in terms of creating great television. It's going to look more so towards surprising moments, big characters, and the big flashy word of blindsides Outside of maybe what Survivor used to do in its previous 15 seasons, which is, you know, creating interesting characters, telling a season-wide story, etc. Not to say that those completely disappear, necessarily, but it seems like the show, at least in its marketing and the way that Probst, who's going to become an executive producer soon, is going to market the show, is all about the moves that you do, the amount of blindsides you do, the amount of people that you surprise overall.
3: Yeah, and this season is going to double, if not triple, the production of Hidden Immunity Idols. They are making them in mass production, and they said, yes, this is what gives us big moments, and this is one of the reasons that uh, Mario loves the uh, aftermath of this. Oh, yeah.
0: yeah. I have no idea when you're going to listen to this podcast. You could discover this in 10 years. I have no idea. But yeah, I'm just, I'm just foreseeing a time in the future around season 40, 45, who knows where – like you know, when you go to college and you get a little uh, meal card with so many meals preloaded on it at the start of the uh, the semester, and you can take meals off it. I can foresee a scenario where you start the game with a certain number of idols allotted to your account at the start of a game, and you have to like use them. Like each player gets five <laughs> idols, and you have to use them correctly. So oh, it's like a you, college you meal plan. It
3: expires.
0: <laughs> exactly, and you get one guest meal per semester. You can invite someone over and let them use your idol. To be very serious with you, I actually think
2: that. uh... A, a legitimate way that they're going to start, start a survivor season in the future is everybody has one.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, think, yes. I think that's very possible. There's idol.
2: Yes.
1: So I talked about this before, but I, I, I think it might've changed with, with nowadays with survivor seasons before a long time, they usually get a survivor season to show the castaways who may not have seen the show before, before they go out to play for a while. It was survivor Micronesia. And so you can understand even from outside a show perspective, There's a big joke nowadays about when people are asked, okay, who's the survivor that you find yourself most like? The vast majority of people, both male and female, say Parvati. And people are scratching their heads like, oh, wow, people really like to say Parvati. I wonder why. Nobody's really playing the Parvati-like game. But again, if they're being exposed to Survivor Micronesia and they're seeing what the acclaim that Parvati is receiving nowadays... Uh, due to the game that she's playing partly in this and partly in heroes versus villains it makes so much sense and it again contributes to this big moves mentality of the only way you're doing well in survivor is if you're playing this big cutthroat game where you're making betrayals left and right and really making the flashiest moves you can
0: yeah and there's the rumor this we'll we'll talk about this more when we get to you know future seasons that this was the only season Russell had seen before he went out to play Survivor, which is why he was so gung-ho to align with Parvati. He's like, I know her. I know her. i gotta got to get into my Russell voice here. I know her. She's the one that dominated that one season I saw. So, yeah, so there's, there, you, this will start to come into play as you start seeing people basing their entire strategies around what they saw in Micronesia. That this is the definitive version of what probes and their producers want the players to play like. You know, it was fans' tribes, a bunch
1: of little bitches. I'm I'm very excited to get to Survivor Samoa now. I I know I I spoiled the outcome for people who might not know the outcome, but your your impression makes me intrigued.
4: I love my Russell impression. A bunch of little bitches.
2: <laughs> oh god. Yeah. I mean, they, great.
0: It's going back to Africa. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh Let's see. Do we uh, we have a couple uh, user question or reader listener questions about Micronesia? I don't want to do too much because we're trying to keep this podcast relatively short. This one-hour podcast
3: we were going to (laughs) do. Yeah,
0: exactly. So going on hour three here. Uh, There's a couple questions. Let me go. I'll just grab a couple. Going into the final tribal council, do you think there was a favorite? And I think we talked about that unless anyone disagrees. I think it was pretty much Amanda's game to lose would be my guess. Would I mean, you guys agree with that? There
1: are technically two favorites, right? That's the tribe that they started out on?
0: <laughs> yes, very good. And Mike, always a technicality. Was it that yeah. or was
2: was was you guys were talking about how Eliza was thinking maybe I'll force a tie? So, you know, it seems like maybe the votes, they had most of the votes in, right?
0: Yeah, they pretty much knew, I think. Uh, Let's see, a guy named Ben Bryce asks, here's a good question. Why did Eliza vote for poverty when it was poverty insulting her throughout the game? The rest of the votes are pretty clear, but this one has always confused me. And I don't know, Eliza. I can't get into her head. You have to remember, as we talked about, there was a lot of stuff with the Eliza jury question that they didn't show on TV about current events and politics and how much the two of them know about what's going on in the world. So maybe there was some in there. I don't know. I'm not sure. Does anybody have any more insight onto Eliza's vote?
1: I mean, you have to look at her speech, at least from what we saw. Yes, Eliza does say, Parvati, you insulted me behind my back. You know, I can't respect what you did that wasn't for strategic advancement. She does say, though, taking out Ozzy was a brilliant move. And she says, Amanda, your game was impressive, but <laughs> when you tell someone li- listening to you talk literally makes me want to kill myself, <laughs> chances are you're not going to vote for that person no matter how much you hate the other one. And I think that... Eliza has shown herself, at least outside of the game, to be someone who's very strategically focused. I could see her, especially considering Amanda's wishy-washy answers to questions afterwards, saying, okay, as much as I hate Parvati, she owned up to her game more, and she showed me that she played the more strategically dominant game than Amanda, so that's why I have to vote for her. I would agree with that.
0: All right, here's a question from a guy named Ander under meat i believe his last name m-e-t-e he writes uh was the decision for the producers to go from a final three back to a two a result of all the evacuations this is a big question i've heard this asked many times over the years i don't know this it's it's one of those i i find it hard to believe that the producers would have intentionally planned for it to be a final two with an eight-person jury that just seems like a horrible idea so I have to think that something along the way probably influenced them. And again, the producers are making changes to these shows all the time as a way to just kind of react to what's happening. They have to, they have to think of a TV show. They have to make sure they can end it on time and stuff like that. So my guess is it probably was a result of all the evacuations. I think they had to maybe alter the timeline a little bit, but I don't know for sure. I don't know. Have you guys ever heard anything about that?
1: I, I think it is. I mean, a final two in a 20-person season Sounds ridiculous. I'm, and I don't even know if it was all the evacuations as much as it was James's evacuation. Because having two people go home in one round that late in the game, I think really shuffled things around. So a, a lot of people say, you know, James getting medevac screwed Surrey out of a million dollars. Again, we can't exactly put those two things together, but I think James's medevac in particular definitely put things a little bit out of stasis.
0: All right, I got two more questions here. Here's another one. I wonder how much not winning Micronesia would have affected legacy, Parvati's legacy. legacy. Would she come Unlocked. back for Heroes versus Villains if she, she doesn't? She
3: disappears, win? right? I think she disappears.
0: Well, do you think they bring her back for Heroes versus Villains? I think so. I think so. Yeah, she is the kind of the face of the Black Widow Brigade. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. she has a good. She's a good villain. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even to this day, I think she. It, it. She's stronger as a legacy when you think of her as one of the great survivor villains, as one of the great survivor winners. I think she totally has a place in the pantheon when you think of villains on Survivor.
1: Though I think when, right. we, get, when we get to Survivor Heroes versus Villains, though, I, I, from what I remember, I thought it was rumored that she was initially a hero and Candice was a villain, and yes. they switched the they two swapped. Yeah, yeah, to not have four Micronesia people on the same tribe. So you might say that, Mario, but I'm pretty sure maybe it's just because they regarded the Black Widow Brigade as heroes for some reason, wow. which, again, I'm sure we'll get to when we cover <laughs> the casting of Heroes versus Villains in, like, three podcasts alone, but... Yeah, that did, I think some people, I believe the edic even had her as like CPN or something coming out of the season, but the Survivor producers initially put her on the Hero Tribe. So
0: the Black Widow Brigade were the heroes, and Eric was the scheming villain.
1: <laughs> the classic archetype
0: of the evil ice cream scooper.
4: <laughs> I'm going to give you a smaller scoop
5: than you paid for!
0: <laughs> All right, here's one for Jay himself from Adam Hakes. Oh God. Adam writes... Dear Jay and other historians, I'm singling out Jay since he apparently gets very few emails. That's ah. false, by the way. Jay gets way more emails than the rest of us. He has more. He he cries for sympathy more than Amanda does. All right, so he writes Jay, "I agree with you that a fan on a fans versus favorite season is at a severe disadvantage. What advice would you have for a future fan should they go on a future fans versus favorite season?"
2: Um, <laughs> I mean, what My advice, I guess, in modern Survivor always is angle yourself to get re-invited back to another season of Survivor.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great answer, to be honest.
2: Like, you know, it, it's tough. Because that's how Survivor is these days. And, and I'm not making a, a value judgment. I, you know, those of you who know my stances on things probably can tell how I feel about certain things. But the way Survivor is now, Surviv- you know survivor is two things it is a 39 day game that you try to play in that moment but it also is a platform in which you are trying to get invited back on a future season of survivor these days which i think is something that early seasons didn't have because the concept of having returnee seasons was not something they were initially totally thinking about so you just you had to make that 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 presence known just in that season whereas now you're like i need to make myself compelling enough to come back or have a reason to come back or have a gimmick to come back
3: or even i think in the state of micronesia like it was very much like you get you get your initial shot and then you get your returning player shot and that's it I think mm-hmm. that's why the heartbreak of Cerie is so bad we don't think that she's gonna get multiple times yeah. to try this again it's you get your first shot then you get your all-star shot
0: you get
2: your right, deserving
3: shot, and then you're Kelly Wentworth.
2: Right, because people hadn't been brought back a third time
3: at this point, right? Right, that that uh, opens up a whole nother thing, which we'll right, get to. Right, and and there were people,
2: like, I know it was a fans versus favorites season, so there was only, you know, the the ten favorites that came back. But, you know, you look at some of the people who were still the most iconic sort of survivors of, 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 the, of the era still, like, they could have brought Rupert back, but they didn't. They could have brought Stephanie back, maybe, but they didn't. I'm not saying that they were called, I mean, I can't for the life of me figure out if they called Rupert, he'd say no, right? Like maybe Stephanie was doing other things, but you know, they didn't get, they didn't, they didn't come back. So because they had come back twice. So I I think that Paul has uh, his hit that on, on, on the head, but I mean, strategy wise, if you're a fan, I mean, I think that, you know, it's tough. I think that, I think that, you know, you, you try to model something after perhaps what Natalie and Alexis did in a weird way where you've got. You try to straddle an alliance with maybe the, some of the favorites and the fans, and you just try to parlay some luck. But I mean, the games change now. You know, the, the, there's there's advantages that are different now, and just the way people think about the game, uh, even from from now to 16 is a little bit different. So maybe you try uh, doing certain things. But but to me, I feel like the goal is always like you you try to get yourself in a favorable situation to win one season, or you try to you know give yourself some sort of gimmick like perhaps voting out your mother so that you know people will remember you for future seasons of survivor as as the person that did this and so they will bring you back again
0: so wait someone voted out their mother oh my goodness have you heard about this and wait what was this then
1: we'll get to yeah, that just... and we'll get to that in like 2027 20,
0: <laughs> yeah All right, this does tie into my last question, and this isn't really a question, just something I wanted to bring to our attention and just talk about it for a second. This is a guy named Luis Forcasado from Brazil. He writes, hi, guys. Hello from Brazil. I like hearing your podcast. He says, one feedback, though. I know you guys don't care about spoilers, but I think that you should at least restrain from spoiling future seasons.
1: Why did did you not read this before
0: I spoiled Survivor Samoa? (laughs) I know. Let me finish, finish the email, then we'll, we'll give it a respectful discussion. He said, people that listen to your podcast kind of expect spoilers, but from other seasons is kind of a name. For example, I watch the whole season, and then I listen to the podcast. He goes, I've not watched some of these seasons live. So as I'm watching Palau while listening to the podcast on Vanuatu, and at the end you completely spoiled the winner of Palau for me. And he put a little frowny face. Now, I don't really have a strong opinion other than to say, I don't know if there's a whole lot we can do about this. But I've, I have heard other people mention this in emails before that they wish we wouldn't spoil future seasons and the ones we're talking about. But it's it's almost impossible from a historian's perspective the way we do the show. You have to realize we're recording these podcasts ten years after we watched the, – after the season came out. So it's it's hard to think of anything as a spoiler when we're talking about something that's a decade old. Rosebud so I just, I just, is just, his sled, okay? Yeah. So I'm not going to say anything bad. Like I, I, th- I appreciate anybody who writes in and, and sends us feedback or emails. This is just one of those things I don't know we can do too much about. It's just this, the way we do historians, there's so much seasons that tie in from one, a lesson from one season to another. It could be the future. It could be the past. And we, we try our best not to spoil stuff, but again, we're talking about things that are a decade old sometimes.
1: Yeah, and it's tough. Like, again, I accidentally spoiled Survivor Samoa because we were tying it into a case of a winner where they might have decided the votes right there and then in the final tribal council. Like you said, we bring up countless numbers of examples and show that history does have a habit of repeating itself. So I do apologize out there. I do apologize if we ruin seasons for you but if anything historians tells you to rewatch seasons so you can see knowing the winner how things kind of shake out from a storytelling perspective so that's kind of the bright side of things i suppose
0: yeah my argument on something like this and i've been saying this for years is that the winner of a season isn't really all that significant to me like it doesn't absolutely change the season it's like to me it's the destination how we get to a and ending or it's a, it's a it's a journey more than it is a destination. It's really the story of how we get to a certain conclusion and watch how it all ties together. so like to me, knowing a winner of a season doesn't really spoil the season because you're still going to be interested in how the journey how do we get to that point so so while I do have sympathy, I don't think it will ruin your in- enjoyment of a season knowing the winner like it's still interesting to see how we get to that point yeah. Uh...
2: I don't think I'm going to apologize like you guys. I mean, I think it's unfortunate, but I I, I think that, first of all, we're spoiling seasons that are 10 years old, right? You know, seven, eight years old. Like, this is, again, this, this is common knowledge. This is not something that literally just happened. And I get that there are people that may not have watched... And 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 bless you, all the people that are new sort of uh, fans of Survivor that have that have that have sort of joined recently and weren't there at the beginning in the year 2000 to start uh, Borneo and all that sort of stuff going on. That's fine and 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 welcome. And I'm so glad that you guys are listening to our podcast and 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 taking in these old seasons, but they are history. They are done. They're very done. And so, as Mario said, it's about the journey. It's not necessarily about the winner. But how I see these podcasts is, I see them as companion pieces, uh, watching through a season. But in a way, I feel like you should know the season and its outcome. Like it's it's one of those things where like we're not going, we don't divulge sort of we don't unwrap the mystery as it goes. We talk about the season and we talk about its context people's reactions at the time and you know fun moments to look out for that maybe you don't do but i I think it's 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 a companion piece to it to a season in which you know so that you can sort of know it a little bit better and contextualize it i don't think it's a discovery piece does that make sense is that weird
1: I, I, I think that makes sense. No, I totally understand. I, yeah. I think I think people do. I mean, I think this this email is a great sign that like people might listen for different reasons. But I would say the optimal way to consume historians would be, as you said, Jay, if you're rewatching a season or if you have watched a season the first time and already know the outcome that's when you should listen to Survivor Historians. So we, we will, you know, spoil the season. We might spoil future seasons as well. But like I said, we're talking about the history of this franchise in general. So I think we're going to make mentions of instances both past, present, and future. Yeah. And I would like to point
0: out that the three of us have all refused to apologize. But in keeping with the tradition of Amanda, the one from Montana is going to go apologize for everyone now. So, I'm so feel free to weep.
3: I'm just know. so sorry. I'm really sorry that we spoiled it. I'm, I'm just <laughs> I feel really bad. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: Okay. Again, we, we, uh, we appreciate any email. We get any feedback, so thank you so much for anybody who writes in, asks questions. I wish we could answer more on the air. A lot of the stuff you ask, we end up covering in the shows. That's why we don't answer that many. So thank you, everyone, for writing in your feedback, and we do listen to your comments, and we will do our best to try to watch spoilers, but I cannot guarantee they won't happen. And with that
1: being said, it's time for Gabon, you guys. What a weird... Season Survivor Gabon is I mean I'm, I'm personally excited to go back And look at it because I think And again people might it might have been the ending But I'm pretty sure from the get go With Survivor Gabon people did not Like this season and I've looked back on it probably more yeah. fondly Than some others I like to refer to sort of Seasons like Survivor Gabon as train wreck Seasons in that you know, you have a bunch of interesting winner contenders and strong players built up from the beginning. But in Survivor Gabon, all these players end up somehow falling by the wayside in the middle of the game. And so you're left with a bunch of people at the end when you say, how the hell did these people end up, you know, being up for the million dollar prize? But that makes it for an interesting season, at least. And Mario, I know you in particular are going to have a lot to say about people like Sugar and Randy. Oh, yeah.
0: I was going to say, you know, there's very very few instances where i think one player just dominates a season like everything that happens in a season is based around that one player storyline and when we get to sugar and gabon there is a special this is a special level of a whole narrative revolving around this a one specific player sugar takes over the season and like every single storyline will be about her and I, I've always thought she did it on purpose, just to maximize airtime. It's it's one of the more fascinating things. It's it's, and I've said this before that I always, you know, we're we're long past my favorite seasons. I love Survivor up and through about Palau. I think, and then you know, All Stars, which can burn in hell, but other than that, it can do no wrong. And then it kind of it, I don't I don't like it as much. But the prop we we kind of went through a couple seasons there. I'm not thrilled about, but I'll get through them to get to talk about seasons like Gabon. Now that we get to Gabon, Token Teens, Samoa, Heroes versus Villains, I mean, Nicaragua, Redemption, there's a lot to talk about in every one of those seasons. And so it all starts here with Gabon, where I really, my interest starts to boomerang a little bit here because some really fascinating things are going to start happening in this season. And then, of course, the coach show the next season. So there's a am so excited that we're finally through Micronesia, through this era of Survivor, to what I consider the fun ones now. G-Sizzle well it's okay because we'll get Crystal and she's going to give the hell out of an interview
3: well I'm just excited for def- in the premiere there definitely is some old lady falling so <laughs> I'm already excited
0: yeah
1: and surfing hippos as Jeff promised us in the uh, promo yeah we've got gorillas living with elephants living with leopards watching from above and you will see none of these animals except for that one random time they found an elephant yeah
0: <laughs> Oh, yes. It's, but it is good to go back to Africa. Fond memories of Season 3, and this is the, the first time they've gone back since, right? 17 was the next season. Yeah. And, we're, and we're in HD, baby! Oh, yeah. And I should... No, I'll talk about that when we get there, how I have Gabon, never actually seen something in HD before, so I have no idea what the difference is.
2: Gabon has got a lot of fun things. I'm very excited to talk about Gabon. Uh, the tribe dynamics, Fang and Coda, is, is fantastic uh, as they go, and... and Gabon is one of these things where like the Ashby line is going to really come into play <laughs> yeah. with a lot of with a lot of people as well. Because this is a this is a season that is very um disparate in the sense that like I guess overall it's a pretty average cast if you go, but but that doesn't tell the story because the top people in this cast, like the characters, are amazing, right? Like you've got Randy and you've got Corinne, and you know, even you know, and and we've mentioned sugar. Uh, and stuff like that, and even you know, there's there's compelling characters like Bob and Susie, and but you've got Crystal and Ken who are fun fun to go. So you've got all these really fun characters in the top, and then you've got Paloma.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I can't wait to play the game of who is Jackie and who is Kelly in the first few episodes yeah. of Survivor Gabon.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, this is one of those seasons. It was it's never been historically loved. It was not super popular when it aired but i would be shocked if you listen to us talk about it for 3 episodes and you don't like it at least a little more it's a, it's a fun it's to me it's a season that's difficult to dislike there's so much fun stuff going on in it,
1: yeah, and, it and if you hate good. it to hell with you <laughs> yes if you hate it you're just an alexis
3: no Lexus this season. Some people I do love though, so I can't wait All to right. talk about it. I'm
2: I'm gonna give I'm gonna give a quick 115 shout-out because it's one of my favorite uh, uh, entries in in the 115 Mario and and I don't know if it's other people's but the the Bob's Vegetable Garden,
1: <laughs> the b- Gaboner.
2: The Gabooner. Oh yeah. I
0: don't know why that's funny,
5: but it is. Oh, I gotta. Be we, we have the you. vegetable
1: garden. We're gonna have. I'm so excited to talk about creepy Maddie. He's one of my like yeah, low key favorites in, the, in those <laughs> in those late teen seasons. So there's just so much fun to talk about with Survivor Gabooner. Yeah, I was gonna say
0: two of my all time favorites on version two of the funny 115 are Bob and the Gaboner and then Maddie and that creepy grin where he's smiling and everyone else is shocked. I have so much to say about that that GIF file when we get there. That's... Yeah,
2: that's such that's still an internet
0: meme. You know, people oh, yeah, still use it. People link that to my site because they think it's a porn video. So I get these – all of a sudden I get from from 5,000 hits a day to 2 million hits a day because everyone thought I had a porn video with Maddie. They all think that Maddie picture is a
1: porn picture. Well, now that we talked about pissing in the beginning of this podcast, the power of the Internet. more porn links to your site. So we're happy to do that for you, Mario. That's right, MontanaFetish.com. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, let's, we're not going to spoil our, uh, our Gabon jokes here. We're going to save this for when we get there because we are chomp, champ, chomping, champing, one of the two, chomping at the bit here to get to a season that is absolute joy to talk about. So um, unless you uh, have any more, I think we can bury Micronesia like one of James's graves here and move on.
1: To- <laughs> no, we talked for almost 13 hours about Micronesia. So I think we can put this one to bed and just let its remnants exist throughout the rest of Survivor history.
0: All right, so uh, I guess uh, we're going to sign off then. Uh, For the uh, Survivor Historians, once again, I'm Mario Lanza, and I promise, I promise I have never fluffed James.
2: I'm Jay Fisher. I'm so glad I didn't win Cook Island so I could be here and have met you.
1: I'm Mike Bloom, and I am definitely an ice cream man.
3: And I'm Paul Osseson. Montana, represent. M-O-N-T-A-N-A, Montana, I love you.
0: All right, and we will see you soon when we uh, come back with Survivor Gabon. So until then, Amanda, love ya.
2: Okay, um, I think I might be the the biggest idiot up here. Uh, I am truly, from the bottom of my heart, hurt by what you did to me. It's a great move, it really was, but I never in a million years thought that you could do that to me. Put a price in our friendship, threw us away. Garbage. You basically said, you know what? You're not worth this much money. You know it really does hurt. How can you say that you're a role model when you're willing to discard a valuable friendship like that? A human being. But I don't want any words. Words. I don't want to talk to you. Honestly, the hardest party part for me is that you took away 14 days that I could have spent with Amanda. And at this point, he's you know he does that thing where he like you know slaps himself and slumps over. Amanda, when I told you. On the beach at one point, when you asked me if I was playing, if you you were playing me or not, I told you honestly that I'm not faking it. I'm not faking your feelings for you or anything. I'm really having feelings that I've never felt before. That I never. I honestly feel like. Like I started to fall in love with you. I I don't know. You're an amazing girl, and I really want everyone to know that. So glad I didn't win Cook Island so I could be here and have met you. That's it. Skateboard on the moon.